Everybody and welcome to the show. I'm your host Amala Epinovi, and today we are getting into what is probably going to be a very uh, spicy topic. Jubilee dropped its newest middle ground, and it is Israel v. Palestine, and they actually brought together Israelis and Palestinians to discuss this ongoing conflict that's happening in the Middle East, to give their take, and to hopefully humanize both sides of this current conflict and see if we can find some middle ground. Hence the name of the show. Now, we do have some exciting news on the show today because Taylor is with us, but he's not in Nashville. He's here in L.A. Here in a corner of the studio that has like three square feet of space that I'm, I'm sitting in about five feet from Amala. But we're doing it, guys. Yeah. We're actually here. So I'm glad I can be here for one of the most difficult topics that we could possibly imagine trying to broach. Uh, but hey, here we go. Yeah, I saw this Jubilee come out and I'm like, OK, you know, we got to do what we got to do. Jubilee Middle Ground is our thing on this show. We're not going to you know, shy away from any of these topics. I do want to say I know many of you are going to have very strong opinions on the Israeli side on the Palestinian side it is totally okay that you drop that in the comments but do not spam the comments uh, with whatever side you will be supporting we will take care of spam comments it doesn't matter which side you support and mm -hmm. on that note you know what we want to accomplish with this uh, video and with this reaction is truly one trying to find middle ground uh, two trying to understand both sides of this ongoing conflict and yes we might come to some conclusions here uh, and be able to express our opinions Taylor and I might disagree you might disagree with something we have to say but we want to prove that we're able to sit down and, and talk about these things and have a discussion even though we know it's hard even though we know that this is a, a devastating thing that's happening right now let's bear that in mind and try to have you know free-flowing dialogue on the issues and I encourage you guys in the chat to speak to one another reply to one another let each other know how you feel in this time time uh, with everything going on. There is a lot of propaganda. There's a lot of very strong feelings. I can tell you right now, I'm, I'm swayed constantly by things that I see in the news, which can or cannot be real. I see a lot of propaganda on social media, a lot of things that are true on social media. So as we go through this video, I'm just going to tell you how I feel. And Taylor's going to tell you how he feels. But more so than anything, we're going to emphasize the stories of the Israelis and Palestinians who have come together to speak about this. So... With that being said, anything else you want to add, Taylor? Yeah, just that, I mean, the spirit of these middle grounds is to learn something new, to learn something new about someone else's perspective and not to just have your own opinions aired and validated and or to beat the other side with, you know, with into submission or just by force of rhetoric. It's really to try to to foster understanding. And so, you know, I'm hopefully we're all coming into this with uh, an open mind. And yeah, we'll be like thinking out loud, processing it as we go through it. But uh, I'm looking forward to hopefully learning something new from these different perspectives. Yeah. And I can talk about, you know, where where I I maybe stand as of now or what I had seen that influenced my opinion as we got more and more news about this. I also want to make it very clear. Not many of us uh, cared at all to talk about Israel and Palestine before all of this happened. So bear that in mind. Right. And there's also a lot of other world tragedies that are happening right now. They're not getting a peep of, of news coverage, let alone are we sitting and arguing about them on the internet. But with that perspective uh, in mind, I'll, I'll tell you where I was at. When I heard about what happened on October 7th, it sounded absolutely devastating. It was crazy to watch all of the news coverage that was coming out, the videos that were being shared on social media. I quite literally had to just like put my phone down for a while because it was just so barbaric, some of the things that, that I was seeing. That being said, uh, the, the response to it in many ways have shaken me in the exact same way. 
say, and I, I have my feelings about uh, what we view as retaliation, what is rightful retaliation, and we'll talk about that throughout uh, this episode, and I know many will disagree on that. There are some people that think, due to what happened on October 7th, Israel has every right to defend itself in whatever way it sees fit. Me, personally, I don't like war, I don't like conflict, so I'm always keeping that in mind with what Hamas was, was capable of on October 7th and what the Israeli government is doing now. And I, I do like to emphasize the stories of those who have actually experienced it, and that's what we're going to do today on this. Taylor, do you, you want to share where, where you're at currently, or you want to wait till we're uh, uh, I mean, episode? broadly, I'm... I'd say largely in the same boat. I think, you know, two wrongs don't make a right, but you can Mm -hmm. keep going back with that. And I don't like anybody justifying wrong acts of violence. I think we should have a, the same standard applied across the board, which is act justly. And uh, by no means is uh, both sides completely innocent on that. And what, Mm -hmm. what country or population is, but um, I'm, I'm trying to come into this with a fair minded, like, you know, let's let's apply first principles and say uh, and look at it from the lens of wrongdoing should be condemned no matter who's doing it. Yep. OK, so with that said, let's get into today's middle ground, guys. I don't think that, you know, a Palestinian and Israeli would meet each other on the street or in a bar. It's so important to me to constantly be listening and connecting with people who have a different stake in this game from the other side. Sitting in the presence of everyone, you kind of get to feel more of what they're feeling. And I think that it's what we all need right now to humanize the so frequently dehumanized. Obviously, there's two sides to this discussion, and the only way out is through. I have lost someone in the war. First of all, I, I consider everyone in... Um, oh, in, is this uh, sped up still? I think people are saying in the chat it's... Oh, sorry. Let me slow that down. Amala watches everything on 2x speed, guys, so... <laughs> Let's slow it down. Sorry, guys. Extended member of my family. Let's go back and, so you uh, can hear his initial statements. Okay, so the prompt was, I have lost someone in the war. Normally, of course, we respond to these things. I'm not going to respond to this. I have no connection to this personally. And that's another thing to uh, keep in mind here uh, when we're talking about this. I don't have a connection to this personally, even though I'm, like, seeing the news and everything that's going on. Uh... I want to emphasize their their positions. And bear with us on this camera situation, guys, yes. where uh, we've got the little circle because I'm using Amla's second camera angle. So <laughs> We're figuring everything out yeah. as we go here, guys. Okay. First of all, I, I consider everyone in, um, in Gaza or Palestine to be an extended member of my family, but I actually lost 23 extended members of, of my family. In 23 Gaza. is crazy. 23 yeah. is huge. Um, and for me, uh, in the West Bank, where my family lives, uh, I lost one of my cousins who was uh, simply coming home from work at our family grocery store and uh, just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time and ended up getting shot by an Israeli soldier that was posted up on the corner looking for someone and shot him and uh, he immediately died. Sorry to hear that. I'm so sorry. Two friends who um, got killed in a massacre. Actually, one of them, um, her uh, burned body just was recognized a few days ago, uh, 40 something days after. Um, and they actually bury a little part of the leg. That was the only thing that was left. But I have a list of uh, tens of. Uh, friends who um, got killed because 
it's, it's a long war, I guess. It's, it's, mm -hmm. I didn't start on October 7th, mm -hmm. from my point of view, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, Absolutely not, yeah. And uh, yeah. Sorry for your loss. Yeah. Um, I lost friends at Nova, the, one of the nature parties that was attacked. It's actually another nature party that was also attacked called Psyduck, which not a lot of people really know about. It's a um, smaller party. Smaller party, yeah. I was there. Um, yeah, I mean, the, Nova was the same location of my first nature party in 2012. I've been going to them since then. And to say the community was devastated is really an understatement. Um, it was horrible. <laughs> That's really what it was. Sorry for your loss. I lost a lot of friends that day on October 7th. Uh, one of them was my best friend. One of my best friends, her name was Mo. She was with us at the beach that day. Um, and she went home to her mother. And on the way home, hundreds of terrorists uh, caught her and shot her dead. Two friends of mine that was on, uh, on the Nova Supernova Music Festival also died there and they were murdered right on the spot and they found their body just dumped somewhere inside Gaza two weeks after. And one of my best friends, big brother, called, uh, being called that day by the army to help uh, the people of uh, the village of Beiri, uh, which got taken by Hamas terrorists. And when he went there with his uh, unit, he died there. Um, leaving uh, behind a wife that they married maybe one year ago. And my mom's best friend, I have a daughter that was married to, to a guy named Itai. He was also in the army. And on the second day, he went to Zikim, where I was, on the beach. And he also died there, along with his two best friends. And. Since October 7, I lost too many people. I'll pause there. Um, there's just so much, uh, I think, trauma built into this whole situation and for every single person. And what I can say is a, it's weird to call it a beautiful thing to, to witness in the wake of everything that's happened, but that the fact that, uh, you know, all from, from both sides can sit and talk about this sort of shared loss. It does humanize both sides, which I've seen a, a lot of just lack of humanity on the internet. And specifically from people who have no direct connection to the current conflict that's happening. It's very easily, it's very easy to watch something happen, get a few bits of information, pick your side and go, it doesn't matter what happens to the other side in this case, and just completely dehumanize and throw them out. I've seen uh, people on the free Palestinian side do that towards Israelis. I've seen people on the Israeli side do that towards Palestinians. And when you realize that even though people have different backgrounds, they have different religious beliefs, they have a, a life and a culture that may be totally separate from ours, they still experience family and friendship in the very same way that we do. They build just as deep connections as we do, and you get to actually hear from them and hear them say it. It, I hope it takes a little bit of, of the hot air out of the situation when it comes to judgment of other people. Because what these individuals are sharing right now it's not necessarily, uh, oh, my my brother was, was part of the Israeli government and during the war conflict they died. We're talking about like innocent civilians mixed in with the people who are actually, you know, maybe pushing this conflict or, or fighting on behalf of this conflict. And that is true for the Palestinian side. It is true for the Israeli side. And that's always something that's so important to remember. 
from the space that I'm sitting in right now, I cannot fathom the things that they're talking about. Like I, I can hear it and I understand that this is loss and I understand that it means losing friends and losing families. One of them saying 23, uh, this young Israeli guy giving a, a laundry list of people that he's lost. But I, I, I cannot fathom what that loss feels like. And to know that every day and to constantly be scared, uh, I simply do not understand. And I don't wish that uh, upon anyone. So it is very interesting to hear. And I'm glad that they started uh, with a prompt of loss so that it, it brings down the heat of the situation a little bit, although I think it's going to spike back up as we talk about the inner workings of this conflict. But at, at the very least, we can acknowledge that these people don't deserve to be going through this. Nobody deserves to be going through this. And this is not a, not a life for for anyone. And just keep, just keep counting. Yeah, I think we all can agree that we've all been doing that since October 7th. You know, I have a lot of friends where I live in Washington, D.C., who have their direct family members in Gaza right now. You know, they left for studying or jobs. And every day, having to hear them frantically try to call to see if their families are alive. You know, one of them, his brother, was one of the last standing nurses at Al-Shifa Hospital up until just last week. He finally left. The uncertainty when it's like your immediate family, I think it's debilitating. And, you know, it puts you into a tunnel where you only can see your grief. But it's obvious that the grief is everywhere and we're all feeling the same things and, you know, none of it should have happened and none of it should be happening, um, which is why I think a conversation like this right now is extremely important so that we can all understand that. Yeah, and to your point, when you see it happening to your family, um, I'm sure friends, probably a similar feeling. Um, it settles at a much deeper level. Um, when I, we have a family group chat, um, a lot of my relatives are, are my aunts are in Egypt. So we have a family group chat and when events transpired and you start seeing the group chat transform from checking in on each other and the regular you know, memes and banter to have you guys checked in, have you heard from them? Oh, we haven't heard in three days, electricity has been out. When I started seeing that on my WhatsApp group, it, it um, like I said, I consider everyone in Palestine and any innocent humans really to be part of our extended family. But um, that just resonates at a much deeper level. I've been sitting with a lot of guilt, uh, being the only, you know, American Palestinian of my cousins. You know, my family made it out. My dad wanted, you know, to give us a better life. And so, you know, he brought us, he brought my mom here. I was born and raised here. but. When I was a teenager, we, we moved back and I lived in Palestine. So it was a shock to see how the occupation affected our daily lives. You know, and I was, I was 13, you know, but coming from Ohio, from like the Midwest, you know, everything is open and free. And then here you are like going to the grocery store and there's tanks rolling down the street, you know, soldiers with guns walking around. Then some days, like, we couldn't go to school because they would close the checkpoints and close the border, like, you're not going today. 
and you know, as a child, I thought that was kind of cool. Like, oh, I don't have to go to school today. But I look back now and I'm like, that's kind of messed up. How and long ago did you move out? Like, did you guys move out from From Palestine? Palestine? It yeah. was in the 90s, the mid 90s. Nice. I grew up in uh, Southeast Jerusalem. And um, I remember um, actually in the beginning of the 90s, we used to go to uh, Kalkilia and Janin and uh, we used to do shopping over there because uh, it was cheaper, <laughs> you know? And we used to uh, eat hummus over there and... Uh, Good hummus, huh? Uh, a lot, bro. A lot. Knafeh. Knafeh, you know? So I, um, I actually even um, understand some of the language. I, uh, I grew up in a place with uh, um, a lot of um, uh, Israeli uh, Muslims. And, um, and you're right. It was, it, it, I remember, actually, it was, it was a great time in the 90s mm -hmm. in, the, in that area when... Uh, when everything got more complicated uh, into the second intifada, when, when I started um, my military time, I was four and a half years in the military. I was special ground forces. I know Gaza, like I know my, uh, my uh, hand. And um, the problems are of, of closing check posts and everything, it started only in the end of the 90s. Because I'm talking about dramatically because of a lot of terrorist attack that happened in, uh, in Israel. So, so in, in the beginning of the, the Intifada uh, on, in uh, 2000, um, um, it was impossible for Jewish people, obviously, to get into Jenin or, or uh, uh, obviously, the, the entire West Bank. Uh, but before that, we could, we could, because before that, we didn't have that many terrorist attacks. So the occupation from, from, from the way we see it, occupation, I don't call it occupation, I call it... Uh, uh, protect your country from uh, some terrorist organization, extremist. I think uh, you so called it, right? I, um, I will be the last person that will say it's a, it's a whole group because uh, I have a lot of Muslim friends up until today. Okay, so a lot of interesting things went back there. Um, it's, he said, you know, I don't know that I would call it the whole group because I know Muslims who do not support what's happening right now uh, with Hamas and their, their leadership. I was... Always curious, like when he said, I think you called it right, was he saying you called it right and that it is an occupation the first time or you called it right and saying that it's not an occupation? I don't know. I think throughout this video, uh, they will go at each other quite a bit. So I think he meant you called it right the first time when you referred to it as in an occupation. And this I go like so back and forth on in in the reading that I've seen and listening to people who uh, have knowledge about what's going on right now. Like I can grant through the different lenses that you could look at this conflict, the different ways that you would see it. From the Palestinian side, if you're going all the way back to the Nakba, which for those of you who don't know what that is, that was a, a large displacement of Palestinians into Gaza, into the West Bank. I think 750,000 Palestinians were displaced and some of them decided to, you know, just go before things uh, got crazy. Others were forced to go and, and many uh, were killed uh, within their, their homes. And to me, if you're defining an occupation, that sounds like an occupation to me. Now, it seems like he's saying, uh, you know, the Nakba happens, this occupation occurs, but things were relatively okay and then terrorist attacks start beginning and then we start instating checkpoints. So it just depends on like where historically how far you're going you're going back at what point you think you think things are settled and then the conflict starts up again and then again and then you'll hear 
you know, people argue from the first and second Antifada, which happens after the Nakba. I, I don't know, guys. I don't know. What I can say is that the, the Nakba and what happened there, if I'm getting the proper characterization of what happened, does not sound okay. Uh, after that, these different terrorist attacks that occur uh, based on where you're looking at the timeline also do not sound okay. And if I am an Israeli uh, or, you know, a part of the IDF or IDF leadership and you're getting constant, you know, terrorist attacks from uh, jihadists and fundamentalists, then what else are you going to do other than say we have to handle what's happening right now to our people, regardless of how you feel about, you know, the displacement or the, the, the moving of Palestinians? The, the flip side being, you know, I try to put myself in the place of being a, a Palestinian. And what if here in the United States, you know, an outside force came in and said, this is our land now. You're going to you're going to be displaced. You're going to have to move out of your home. How would I respond to that? What what would what would be the thing that I would do? Of course, I'm going to leave because I, <laughs> I think the first thing I'm going to I'm going to step out of the situation for a second. But I, I don't know what how I would feel personally about what happens. Not that I'm saying that I would advocate for for terrorism, but I could see Americans being like, hell no, you're not coming into our land. You are not taking my house. And I could see other people fighting back very forcefully to that. Yeah, and of course the great irony and all that is the U.S. kind of did that to the Native Americans in a manner of speaking, and they were, uh, yeah. And I think a lot of them waged war and uh, on the the settlers, and uh, that beyond, of course, the disease and other things. I mean, but anyways, uh, yeah, this this whole conversation. You're never just having one debate because as soon as you say, well, the occupation of Gaza is justified because of the imminent threat of uh, Islam, uh, not Islamic, but uh, uh, jihadist violence, mm-hmm. uh, then you, you can quickly reframe that and say, well, that's a reaction to the, the occupation that happened in the first place. And like each side right. can keep re- reframing things and say, well, we needed a state to retreat to because we had just lost six million people in the Holocaust. And the the, the global sentiment was such that this the, it was worth allowing millions of Jews to settle this land, even though that came at the expense of displacing 750,000 people. So you can keep doing this reframing game and kind of never get anywhere. But to your point earlier, um, I like that they started this debate with kind of this humanizing angle of what, what you've lost and what that means to you. Because if there is hope for a a, a peaceful future between mm-hmm. these two uh, peoples, it's it's going to be because the moderate voices prevailed yeah. and the people who are committed to making a, a state that is, um, or, you know, whether it's a two-state solution, whether it's one, I mean, I, I'm not proposing to <laughs> claim you to have the answer, of right, course, right. but uh, we need the moderate voices to prevail and not the extremists, extreme Zionists or uh, the, you know, radical jihadis either. And um, hope, just conversations like these are the best hope we have. And we say that about a, a lot of different topics, whether that, that these Jubilee debates explore. Yeah. And then we, like, we've been grappling with the fact of like, is this possible, right? Given the two, uh, uh, extreme views and some more extreme than others. 
uh, is it possible? Like, will will peace prevail in in the Middle East, or will it be this just constant? back and forth. Because one thing I can say I don't see happening is I don't see jihadists going, ah, you know what? You're right. We're going to chill out. And uh, we're not going to we're not going to attack anybody anymore. I mean, reading like Hamas's charter is uh, super scary to to read, as well as statements from, you know, other jihadist groups set fully separate uh, uh, from from Hamas. I'm like, does that ever end? Also, does, you know, an, an Israeli claim to Holy Land ever end? Probably not, although we can view that as being maybe less less extreme than something that is uh, written in the, the Hamas's charter. How do you solve that? Unless both people can go, you know what? We're going to we're going to both live on this land and we're going to coexist with one another. But then it's like, uh, you know, what, like with so many things, one group of extremely radical people ruin it for the entire mm. uh, population. And I I struggle to think that there is a way in which that extreme group of people uh, decides to, to die down and to, you know, settle the situation. Mm. So with that, we're going to keep watching. Even from back in the days, and even childhood childhood friends that I grew up with. So I, I'm, uh, my, my past is very rich with the Muslim, um, uh, Arabs, Israeli Arabs uh, uh, culture, but um, in my opinion, is is super strong because I felt the different between the 90s and the terrorist attack that uh, happened because of uh, um, uh, the Hamas. Obviously, they they woke up the monster. Let's put it that way. Hmm. Interesting choice of wording. Okay, so I didn't step up because <clears throat> while my mom and dad know people who have been victims, I had the privilege of being born and raised in Detroit and spending two, three months at a time on multiple occasions in the West Bank. So that's, that's why I didn't step up. What, what was your name? Talal. Talal, what, what you said when you first stepped down that, you know, you, everyone there is your family. I feel that way as a Jew about Israel, but I didn't want to take away from who I'm sure had real personal connections. But we, we feel it deeply, everything yeah. that we see. And, and of course, I know many people who live in Israel who thank God we're not in the South on October 7th mm. and who are okay right now, thank God, but we're checking in and mm. everybody knows somebody. It's like we're all one degree away from tragedy. Um, so that, I mean, that's why I disagreed. I didn't lose anyone, but I did get married in Palestine. I'm not going to say which village to protect my ex-husband. Um, but before we got married, he was arrested. His village was um, attacked by the IDF and he threw a rock this big at an Israeli tank and was arrested for four years where he was beaten, four tortured, uh, starved. Um, and according to his family, I didn't know him at the time. Um, he never came out the same. And even after we got married, you know, asking him the questions and, you know, what happened and how was it in jail? And you could see the fear in his eyes and you could just feel his pain. And a lot of people don't realize that a lot of Palestinians that get arrested are never put on a fair trial. That's actually not true, what you're saying here. Hmm? It's no. not true. Two-thirds of Palestinians are not put on trial. They're not charged. They are. Yeah. It, yeah, they are. They're just held captive and hostage. I just told you what happened yeah. to my... They're also personal they didn't is a crime, they're going to a trial. They're always when... So always a trial in Israel. Is she lying? I'm yeah. giving you a personal yes. account of what happened to my husband. Um, this isn't a source or a website or a video. 
what are you going to do in that situation? Like, what is there to uh, what is there to say? Who's gonna, I don't know. <laughs> I I it very well could be that that is what happened to your husband. It also could be that you're lying. I would beware of anybody who like unequivocally says like you're absolutely lying that never happens because you know even in a even in a, a system that runs pretty well we have flaws the american system has many flaws and uh our criminal justice system has many many a flaw so i wouldn't uh i would never state that like it always happens or anything like that so i'm curious to see mm-hmm. how they clear this up but she's giving a personal anecdote i don't know what else you can say yeah and that but by the same token that kind of goes both ways you can't say I, it's hard to say I have this direct experience of injustice in my family and therefore, therefore all other right. Israel and, you know, every everybody else that they've ever prosecuted has fallen is equally unjust. Right. Um, so you can't paint with such broad breaststrokes. But that's also he shouldn't invalidate her experience if he has no direct evidence to say anything to the contrary. So 100%. you just again, in the spirit of good faith conversation, you have to just come to the table and be willing to, to listen and entertain yeah. uh, things that disagree. And then I think we hear this Palestinian guy say two thirds of Palestinians arrested do not get a fair trial. That's a very, very big statement. Yes, it's huge. Yeah, like 66.66% are not getting a trial. I don't know if it's true, and I don't know how you would verify whether or not that's happening. I guarantee if you uh, ask somebody within the Israeli government whether or not uh, everybody's getting a fair trial, they're going to say everybody's getting a fair trial. If you ask somebody within a Palestinian territory or, you know, like go to Al Jazeera or something like that, they're going to say people are not getting a fair trial. I don't know how to confirm that. And the, the poor people at Jubilee are pretty good usually at doing fact checking and adding little tidbits. But, yeah, you know, bless their heart in this situation. Like, well, how do you even begin to try to verify a claim like that? Yeah. So what I wish would happen um, is that, OK, let's say I cannot personally I have nothing, no evidence right here to verify what I'm saying to you right now. You have no evidence right now to verify what you're saying to me. Can we all agree that if this situation did occur, if it did happen, that would be wrong. Can you say that? And then you get an answer for them. And they say, you know, maybe I don't believe that has happened, but if it did happen, I think that that would be wrong. And then we can move on to the next thing. Or they can say they think it wouldn't be wrong if that if that was the situation. Uh, I think that would clear things up so we're not just continuing to battle back and forth over something that nobody can verify. I, yeah, I think that's a personal story. I think basically what he's saying is that according to our law, which maybe it's not necessarily always upheld, that according to our law, and if it was to be discovered, there would pro- there'd be mass protests. Like, we don't fuck with that as a people, and the law legally states that they would have to be a trial. I think you that's don't. What he's not everybody's like that in Israel, to yeah. be fair. So that's, that's fair. So what about the children that are imprisoned? Do they go through due trial? A 12-year-old, a 13-year-old, a 14-year-old? Yeah. All of them is go there, through trial. Is, 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 there, is, is there any trial that justifies children to be held in I'm prison giving you, for years? I'm, I'm telling you right now that my husband did not get a, my ex-husband did not get a fair trial. Why? Because it was and four then years there? You, you took his situation, and, and I'm not taking away from your situation like you did with mine. You took our personal experience and situation and with all due respect made it about you. When an Israeli tank attacks a Palestinian village, are all Palestinians supposed to lay there and just take it? Okay, so we know the prisons are filled with children. They're terrorists too. They're murderers. If you throw a rock, if you throw a rock, you're a terrorist. Yeah. Oh, if you throw yeah. a rock, you're a terrorist. If, if you attack us, oh. if you attack with this rocks, is called, this is the prime example of not. So this is uh, this is coming from my very U.S. perspective, okay, guys. And I'm trying to think of like a similar situation. I'm trying to think like if a police officer shows up in your neighborhood or things are getting out of control and a citizen throws a rock at a police officer, you're getting arrested, right? You're getting arrested. Is that terrorism? 
no. To me, no, uh, to me, that's a very, very bold statement to char- characterize that as as terrorism. And I, I there would need there would need to be more to back it up. And that's the thing. I think that that word can be thrown around very, very flippantly. I reserve it for greater acts of terror than than throwing a rock at uh, an Israeli tank or uh, a member of the IDF. However, if you were arrested upon throwing a rock at uh, you know an IDF soldier or something like that. You did throw a rock. Now, does that justify her story of four years of imprisonment mixed with torture and all these different things? Absolutely not. Uh, but I don't know the inner workings of her story, uh, why that happened, whether or not it happened. I just have to take her word for it in in this case. But I do think that the use of the word terrorism is that. That's a little, a little flippant. Not having yeah. due trial. Yeah. A trial means you get investigated. You look at the cause of I, what happened. No, no, I don't. Look at the I don't say that just because they're. You can't just say like anyone. They have to go through actual due process. This is the just. Yeah. This is the logic. The this is the logic of Israel. If you're Palestinian, you're. I'd a love to say some final words about the actual prompt, if that's okay, because I think it's disrespectful to all the people that we did lose during this war to go down this route right now. Yeah. I actually broke the news on the Nature Party before any other media outlet from friends that were there. Um, and I'm sitting there getting these messages at nighttime, it was Saturday night, and it was horrific. And I think that what we're all experiencing in terms of checking in on our family, I mean, my sister just gave birth in a bomb shelter like a week ago, you know? I think that's a really common experience and it's something that both people from both sides can relate to. And it's one of the areas that a lot of these random people who are so disassociated from this that are chiming in can't actually feel. Mm. And I think it's, just a really intense thing. And I know that for myself personally, I can't log on to Facebook anymore without just seeing funeral and Shiva announcements. And I find that to be very hard to go through every day. But I have to check because we don't even know who's missing or who's dead 100% just yet. So like last week, my friend's two twin cousins that were 12 were found, finally identified. Their bodies were burnt to such a crisp that it took that long. So I just think like with a prompt like this, we need to give due respect to the people that we all lost and just take a moment to just validate the fact that so many of us are sitting here having lost family members, friends, people we've met throughout the years, friends of friends, cousins of cousins, aunts. I mean, it's almost impossible to be untouched by this. Um, so, yeah, I'm just sorry for everyone's losses and may everybody's memory be a blessing. Inshallah, and we apologize for your loss as well. Mm-hmm. I would like to point out even though it is very difficult that your sister gave birth at a bomb shelter, there are no bomb shelters for the people of Gaza. Wait a second. I mean, there are, uh, there is a network of tunnels that the Hamas terrorists hide in and they don't allow the Palestinian citizens to go into them apparently. So there are bomb shelters in Gaza, but just not for the citizens. Yeah, it's tough, man. I don't know. I don't know about any of that or, you know, how those... I, mean, uh, I, I might function. be wrong, but I mean, that's... For, look, I can't help but just that that pops in my head as soon as I hear him say that. Yeah, I do want to hear... Uh, I, and and this is the thing. It's a difficult thing, right? I watched a lot of, like, the Pierce Morgan interviews of, like, Israelis and Palestinians. And, of course, I, th- I think Pierce Morgan is very biased in the way that he asks questions, but that's just me. Uh, this... 
you hear it all over the news media, right? Will you condemn Hamas? Will you condemn Hamas? Will you condemn Hamas? That's always like the first question that these journalists give out. And in a way, I can understand that in that, yeah, you would hope that you would be able to disavow these acts of terrorism that are happening. Uh, and the reason a lot of Palestinians don't answer is because, you know, either A, they support Hamas, or uh, B, it's that if I, you know, condemn what's happening uh, on, on the side of Hamas, it, it sort of validates what the Israeli government is doing, and that's kind of striking the balance of the two. I wish we could put them uh, not necessarily on equal footing, but say that, you know, there are acts of terror and they show up in many different forms. Can we condemn, you know, can we can we condemn these things uh, equally or, or in, in the same way or in the same respect, if that makes sense. It's just so unfortunate because you've got to think that while there are Palestinians that do support Hamas, there's got to be so many that don't. And where there are Israelis that are, you know, uh, maybe Zionist or do support what the Israeli government is doing right now, there's so many that don't. Uh, mm -hmm. And I, unfortunately, I feel like those are a lot of the people who are losing their lives, the people who don't even support any of what's going on right now. And as I said before, I just can't can't imagine uh, what that is like, especially from the Israeli girl who said that she was the first to break the news of what mm. was happening at that music festival. Can you imagine? Can you imagine hearing just like r all these different people coming at you saying there's a terrorist attack happening right now and people are dying left and right to the tune of hundreds of people and you are the person who has to break that news and have that go out to the media and it's your friends. I, I cannot, just can't. More on the information I get from social media than the news. I rely more on the information that I get from social media than the news. Okay. Um, I guess. Okay, so I guess my answer is yes to this. Uh, and and I'll, I'll actually use this conflict as an example of why my answer uh, is, is yes. I think I use news outlets to like either reinforce or disavow the things that that I hear uh, through social media. If when this in particular was happening from October 7th until now, it was listening to a lot of uh, Israeli people in Israel talking about what they witnessed, what happened, how many lives were lost, doing their own sort of like citizen reporting. And on the, the same end, I was following people who were on the ground in in Gaza. And uh, for, for one example, I think her name is Bisan, and you've probably seen her too because she's been all over social media. And honestly, I haven't seen one of her videos in in quite some time. I want to say in at least a week, maybe. And it was just hearing what was being reported because it's very hard. How do we know who's dying? How many numbers? Who's responsible for what? We had the whole story of the 40 beheaded babies that went back and forth and Biden said he saw the pictures and then they said that he didn't see the pictures and then there was the bombing of the, the hospital in Gaza and the Israeli government originally takes uh, responsibility for the bombing and then they delete the tweet and say that they didn't bomb the hospital and then they go and say that it's, you know, Hamas rocket is responsible but Hamas says that Israel is responsible and you're seeing all these stories you saw the uh i think she was an israeli german girl and her name is escaping me my goodness but when the music festival thing had happened there was videos circulating of uh you know a naked woman in the back of a truck being you know trailed around by hamas and clearly she was brutalized and they're saying it's this girl then they say she isn't dead and she's actually in a hospital taking care of and then they confirm that she is dead how does anybody 
in their right mind, like know what's going on, know which sources to trust and know who's telling the truth, especially when you factor in the direct bias that each media source has towards uh, any given end. I don't I don't know how to get through that and I cannot come to you clearly and say I know definitively that this many people have lost their lives and in this way or that Israel is responsible for this and uh, you know Hamas or you know is responsible for that I don't have an answer for you I have a ton of questions yeah. <laughs> so, but no answers yeah it's it's kind of unfortunately incumbent on us as individuals to sort of have a giant dose of skepticism with regard to the yeah. things that we see on social media and in the news and try to distill out the slant and the propaganda and any of the information that we're getting and get down to the the, the facts at hand like we know there was an attack uh, yeah. on that day we've seen the footage of it. we know a lot now a lot of how it's been reported in fact specific things within it of course there there's varying levels of uh, doubt that you should have mm -hmm. um, on specific things but Anyway, you have to just take the broad breast strokes, but it, it is difficult. I liken it to, um, you know, we used to have TV shows that appealed to everybody because you had like three channels and they had to make them work for a lot, a lot of people. Mm -hmm. um, and nowadays with the proliferation of all these new streaming platforms and all the different options, um, everything's become very segmented and appeals to specific interests and i think that's happened to our news as well you used to have like walter cronkite the most trusted man in news in america you know it's like very um it was very well vetted or at least you know i'm sure there was still bias then but right. it was it, it was, wasn't super saturated yeah there, it wasn't as saturated and you didn't have as much slant because you didn't have a competitor that you buttressed against and now not only do we just have fox and cnn we have all these different podcasts it's just like you can get your information from literally a million sources yeah. and it's just an unfortunate reality of the modern day that we live in that we just have to piece together uh, the truth as best we can. And I think that's like a muscle that you exercise. You gotta get better at being aware of your own biases, being aware of the biases that are out there and really try to piece together like the truth and then base your opinions on that. Yeah, and it's so, so difficult. Like I would, like I said, like follow these people who are actually on the ground. And the, the, the great thing about social media, but also the horrifying thing is about social media is when these things happen, you have like a, a primary source, a direct primary source where people can, are literally living in it and you know, filming themselves and showing you what What's happening around them and then you can sort of uh, compare that with what you're seeing in the news uh, but with the news it's so difficult because you can read two articles uh, and let's say one's from Fox News and one's from CNN and they're about the exact same story and within them are objective facts like sprinkled throughout but each each news outlet gives its separate characterization where one refers to uh, you know Palestinian militants the other calls them terrorists and the same for you know what's going on uh, with the Israelis there's just language that you have to like fine-tune your radar for in order to be able to see through some of the bullshit that is being <laughs> published constantly with that we'll get back Uh, obviously, it's very important that we're using like verified news sources. There's so much misinformation, I think, from both sides. Um, 
I know that I've corrected people on the Palestinian side, like, hey, I don't think that this is actually true. Like, maybe, you know, we need a source. If you're reposting something from someone else, also tag whichever, you know, journalist or news site it's coming from just to streamline information because, you know, misinformation can hurt the cause more than the actual information not being shared truly. And I think in order to honor what is happening and to be able to truly advocate, it's important that we're only putting forth the truth. There's so many different kinds of networks, ones that are more on the ground, like Al Jazeera and Mayadeen, and then obviously you have the American media, CNN and New York Post and New York you know, Times and Washington Post. I feel like a lot of times, in general, I feel like American media, mainstream media has not been fair on so many other issues previous to this. And so I don't only necessarily go to them, but I do look at all sources of media because I want to get a fair view of what's happening. And I also look at Israeli media. Can I ask a question? Because I saw you both not. In your opinion, is the American media bias anti-Palestinian or anti-Jewish bias is what you say when you say that the American media is not? Anti-Palestinian. Anti Anti-Palestinian. That's so interesting. Because oh, wow. for the Jews, <laughs> you think it's so anti-Jewish bias. Yeah. I it think, can be both, right? Yeah. It's one or the other, and mm -hmm. it's anti-Palestinian. It can be both. <laughs> like, that's the the weird but also, I guess, kind of good thing about the U.S. is that you can get a ton of different media from different sources. Uh, I've definitely seen bias in both uh, directions. I'd have to think about which one I've, I've seen more. We do know that the U.S. is very much pro-Israel on a government level. Like, that, that is something that the, the U.S. backs... Israel. Uh, and I have my personal opinions about that. I don't really support that. I don't think we should be sending over uh, billions of dollars. And I feel the same way about what we've done uh, with, with Ukraine. I don't think that our, our tax dollars should uh, be, be spent in this way. Uh, so there's bias in that sense. But also, you'll see these uh, pundits on CNN, MSNBC, ABC, uh, which many of them very left-leaning say, you know, they are pro-Palestinian in this case. So the the beautiful and scary thing about America is that you can get uh, news sources from all different angles. So that's a tough thing to decipher. I don't like that he said it can't be both, it's one or the other, because it very much, uh, it very much can be both. Oh, because you said it is. Yeah. So. Well, well, because <laughs> like if you look at the wording, there's selective language. There's omission and there's adding of certain words that paint a narrative very strongly. Mm -hmm. So when they say Freedom clashes forces. between, um, you know, Palestinian uh, Israeli forces and Hamas, but you look at what the actual story is and you read the fine print, which most people unfortunately don't do, um, it turns out that Israeli forces in that in whatever situation might have stormed into a village and shot a child. But the headline reads clashes. Anytime it's the other way around, terrorist. So, so um, I, I think, think that's, every time. it's very important that, to label people correctly. And some people are terrorists and they should be labeled as such. Mm -hmm. But when you omit certain information for a specific purpose, this is what the Western media specializes so, in. So what I love about this is what literally what you're saying could be taken verbatim from mm -hmm. like a Jewish dinner conversation. They do the exact same thing mm -hmm. to the Jews. Mm -hmm. where, where, example? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. where like yeah. the day after this October 7th massacre, the guys flying in and like raping and burning people are being called militants. 
and not terrorists. Freedom, freedom fighters. Freedom fighters. There's like literally examples of, for example, if there's a terrorist attack in Israel, the BBC will publish like IDF, uh, you know, shoots Palestinians as opposed to like the terrorists literally came and tried to stab people and then got neutralized by the IDF. And so I think like the language, honestly, and by the way, I have a lot of Palestinian friends. I know you guys think the media is biased against you. And I know we also think that too. I see this on both of my feeds. It's like so blatant how we both feel this way. And I think that instead of dismissing the fact that like we just don't see that, maybe we need to send each other examples of articles that we mm. feel are completely biased and have really crappy headlines. Mm -hmm. And the truth is, by the way, most of these media orgs don't even have a personal incentive in the region. They're just stirring and stirring this pot for no, like, and we're just fighting out over this. We shouldn't let them. I think many of them have personal, uh, personal incentives. Uh, and there's, there's a lot to be said that there, um, there are many who benefit greatly uh, over wars just constantly starting and going and uh, you look at like the billions of dollars that are moving around uh, and not just in the example of what's happening in the Middle East what's happening around the world tons of people benefit off of this conflict continuing to to happen and then you have to think of how many of those tons of people have their their hands uh, in in media and how much influence they have over media and the way that these stories are portrayed and the way that things are told I have most definitely seen propaganda in both directions uh, ever since uh, what happened on uh, October 7th. I've seen uh, videos of a Palestinian man who uh, is pretending to be harmed in a bombing and then the next day he's normal in another video. I've seen that happen on the news the other day and I, forgive me, I forget which network was, but it's a typically what we would view to be a left-leaning network here in the United States was covering uh, what was happening and said, you know, right now we're, we're doing hostage negotiations and each day 10 hostages from Gaza, uh, 10 Israeli hostages, are being uh, given back to Israel. And in exchange for that, we will give them back uh, 10 Palestinian prisoners. And when they were describing the hostages, they were saying, you know, women and children or whatever. And when they described the, uh, the Palestinian uh, uh, prisoners, they said, uh, women and teenage boys. Okay, so what's the difference between children hostages coming from Israel and children prisoners coming from, uh, sorry, uh, women and, you know, children hostages coming from Gaza and children and women coming from Israel? And what were the crimes of these prisoners? I would love that to be, like, detailed out. This, this uh, boy who you are now exchanging for uh, an Israeli citizen did he stab somebody? Was he a bomber? Was he part of Hamas? Or did he throw a rock at an IDF soldier? Or did he not even do that and he was simply arrested and we're just characterizing Palestinians that are arrested as prisoners? You don't get any clarity on it because, first of all, I don't think the U.S. cares all that much how they cover these stories. We're in a very quick news cycle where they just cover the story and say, well, by the way, uh, they're sending over 10 Israeli hostages and in exchange, they'll get 10 prisoners who also happen to be women and children. And you never get to like raise your hand and ask questions and say, well, I want to know, you know, exactly what's happening there and why they're being called prisoners and these are being called hostages. And you never get to figure that out. So the amount of propaganda that I view on a daily basis is astounding to me and i for one don't feel like i have the clarity to see through it all
that's do that. But the BBC is legitimately so anti-Semitic. CNN has taken years before they turned around and called Hamas a terrorist group. Their headlines are an absolute atrocity. They never report on anything that happens for the Israeli side. They only report on our response. But how is and that anti-Semitic? Because they never report on the attacks that come towards us. They only report Ever? on what we do. And yes, That's all I see. It's. Well, it's 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 interesting okay. how are we are getting like two different answers. We, we have like we have the same. I, I, like I, I, I would say that we're probably looking at things through different lenses. Yeah. So when you say the news, you see something on social media, you should definitely verify. Um, as far as the U.S. media, and this is just my opinion, the U.S. media that we've been fed has been feeding into lies in, over the years, not just this conflict in general. So when you say they don't have a, uh, let's say, a dog in the race, it's just not true because Joe Biden clearly supports Israel unequivocally. So you can't say that there's no Israeli bias in America. The U.S. always stands with Israel. That's a fact. I have a problem with Joe Biden probably. Like yeah, everybody does. Joe, okay. You know, Joe Biden or not, I don't think that's a fact. It does. It does. So then, according to you. No, because the Democrats Joe definitely. Joe Biden repeated the unsubstantiated yeah. claim that 40 babies were yeah. dead. Joe Biden say that because he saw what we showed him. If I believe Joe Biden and his uh, support to Israel, I think it's a big BS. Yeah. You he think Joe Biden, so Joe Biden support Israel? He just funded Iran. No, I don't think he's just, just, you know. He literally came on I think it's a political uh, so America doesn't thing. support Israel. I, well, I don't think, well, America, <laughs> yeah, it's not Joe Biden. We just wasted $15 billion. He's the president of America. America. America is like not Joe Biden. Yeah. yeah. We're the president, like, but, uh, back to the news thing, though. The IDF has an extensive history of lying. They lied about killing Shirin Abu Akhleh, the journalist who my mom was friends with. I was going to walk up here, but she wasn't my friend. She was my mom's friend. Um, they said that something else happened to her. Independent investigations came to believe a sniper while she was wearing in, in Janine, I believe it was. Yeah. She was wearing a news report jacket. They murdered her. That's just one example. That's a good so example. So the news lies all the time. That's a good because example of how yeah. they didn't label yeah. that correctly. When it first came, they didn't she label says it. says a Palestinian reporter dies. No, no, she wasn't died. She was killed, killed. by a sniper intentionally so we, shot we, also, between the helmet look about and the vest. Look at the, the rocket, the rocket that fell in the parking Sorry, lot of El Shifa Hospital, yeah. how that was she was. Dead. That was a catastrophe. But no, I, I agree that they're she probably misreporting on both of us. Uh, the same so, goes no, 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 for no, no, Rachel no, no. Corey. Wait, 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 so, do you remember the, the whole big thing about the Al Shifa being bombed by Israel? That hundreds of people had died. So, that the news came out. Five, you mean Al Ahli? After two minutes, after two minutes, say five hundred people. Yeah, Al Ahli. After two minutes, they said five hundred people, and this Israel had bombed. Every major news outlet reported this. That's what happened. No. No, it was proven very unequivocally. That's not what happened. It was. Here's another example, guys. Here we go, this yeah. one rocked me too. Okay, so first of all, when I heard about this hospital, which I've—it's not Al Shifa. He—he he spoke about the wrong one. I don't know how to pronounce the actual hospital uh, that ended up being bombed, where they reported that 500 people had died. But this was huge. It was all over the news. Everybody was talking about it. When I first uh, was acquainted with the story on social media. It was because a member of the Israeli government claimed that Israel was responsible for the bombing of the hospital. So then everybody runs with the story. Israel's responsible for uh, the bombing of this hospital. 500 people dead. And then uh, that tweet gets deleted. And the screenshot exists somewhere. You guys can go and look it up, whatever. The tweet gets deleted. Then the Israeli government comes out and says, no, that wasn't our bomb. In fact, it was a Hamas bomb that was misdirected and uh, it falls on the hospital. Now 500 people are dead. Then uh, you know, the Palestinians say that's not possible. Hamas does not have rockets big enough to create that sort of damage. There's no way that 500 people died because of a Hamas bomb. And then Israel comes and says, oh, here's some grainy footage of rockets, you know, going through the air. This is the one that hit the hospital. And then we're all just meant to trust that that's what it is. And uh, we're meant to trust them when they come out and say, no, it wasn't us. It, it was, in fact, Israel. 
who do you, who knows? Who knows? Can any of you confidently say that, that you know? Uh, I, I'm curious why a government official would take claim of the bombing happening, happening first, and that's the only, like, instinct I have to go off of because it did happen, you know, almost directly after the bombing occurred, but then everything that ensues after creates so much muddy water that it's hard to figure out. So then you, as a member of the public, are just sitting there so confused that you don't even know what to think anymore. And I do think a lot of people are relying on the fact that they can uh, confuse us in in this way so that we don't even know what happens, but we keep fighting and it just keeps going and the conflict remains. Uh, 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 Islamic Jihad rocket failed, oh, went off, blew up in the park. So our rockets are that strong. No, it fell. That's why not 500 people didn't die. Well, it would have been a much larger damage if it had been uh, a dropped bomb from an Israeli plane, like they said it was. But it was 500 people died. There's not that much damage. 500 people didn't die from that. But 20,000 overall have. You know. That's not what we're talking about. But I am. I am talking about that. I want to talk about. Where would you get that number? The Euro Mug help. to 50. That's what the numbers is that were that were reported once all of the dust settled from all of the other international organizations. To bring it back to news, to see like the way that some news organizations verify or post later or post earlier but spell things wrong or things like that, it's kind of telling to see how quickly misinformation can spread. I will say social media can't just be completely dismissed because it does present sort of a first-hand perspective. However, I prefer to get my first-hand perspective from my friends and my family on the ground and I think that that's the news that, if anything, I was kind of more hoping to hear from today about because I feel like that's the personal experiences that we're not actually getting to hear from each other online um, or on the news. And I think that that's kind of the firsthand mm -hmm. news that people should be sharing. Um, you know, me personally, like I get the rocket alarm app on my phone, but I also get a text from like eight different WhatsApp group chats, you know, when rockets happen, is everybody okay? Is everybody okay? Did it? So I think that that's also a really important news source. And I would ideally love to be able to share firsthand news like that with people like you and also receive it from you as well. I do love the perspective that she in particular is coming to this video with mm -hmm. of, you know, like, I get it, we're going to continue to be on our separate sides of this conflict. And she seems very, you know, self-aware in that respect. But like, please, I and, and hopefully she's being honest, I would love to hear, you know, what you are listening to. I would love to read the articles that you are looking at. I would love to have uh, this back and forth with the knowledge that we have and the articles that we're reading so that hopefully we can gain more clarity on what's happening in this situation. And she, uh, with every prompt so far, has managed to just like tie a very neat bow on it and do so in a, a way that is respectful and, and humanizing. So shout out to her. I think her name is Shawnee. 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 Yeah. Shawnee. I think that that's the most reliable info we can get. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I have a lot of friends who have family directly there, so they do get, you know, photos and videos when there's internet access, you know, but I was sitting with one of my friends one day when he called me hysterical at 7 a.m. and told me his parents had just called him and told him to say his goodbyes to them because the bombs were getting closer to their house. And the fear in his voice really, like, suffocated me. And I didn't know what to do for him. So he came over. We tried calling his family. His parents weren't picking up. I didn't know what to do for him, you know? Like, he's like, my parents are going to die. I'm in America. And I can't be there for them. 
and I had never seen or been in a situation where I've had someone so close to me dealing with something like that. I mean, he literally stayed by my side the entire day yeah. until we were able to um, verify that his family was gonna be okay and that they finally moved away from their neighborhood. And so they're still safe to this day, but you know, seeing videos directly from friends, like you said, like on the ground, just has another layer of devastation uh, because it makes you realize these are like real people that are connected to the suffering. A lot of times because news agencies can't really be on the ground in, in certain hot areas like that, it's good to have people that are reliable that you can connect with and get that information from. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it brings <coughs> an extra layer, I think, of just um, humanity mm -hmm. because it's not just some like corporation that's, you know, reporting on the news. It's someone real that's like there in the midst of it. You know, we need that. We need that because a lot of our casualties are not reported on. Mm -hmm. In fact, this morning I was in the bathroom on my phone, as we do, <laughs> and, and I, I looked up children killed. I was trying to find a specific child, and the, there was four that came up, two of them, sorry, five total, two of them, again, from like several hours ago, right? And then there was four others that died three days ago in Janine, right? Six, a 16-year-old, a 15-year-old, a 14-year-old, and a 19-year-old, right? And there was, it was so difficult to find, there were zero Western sources reporting on this. I had to search it in Arabic for their names to come up in the Palestinian casualty role. And it was almost impossible. I was shocked that there was four below 18, one of them 19, minors that died. And I could not find this reporting. I'm like, wait, I'll Google it. Oh, it'll come up. I'll hear it. And it just wouldn't come up. It's like, so yeah, mm -hmm. we need to have people on the ground, the Mu'taz Azizas, the, the, the others like him, that are reporting because... I, would, I do want to like push back on what he's saying just a little bit. It's just like, okay, uh, can we have a little bit of understanding as to maybe why Western sources would not be reporting on every single casualty that takes place? Because, well, you're not, you're not a part of the West, right? And there's a, there's a million other things that are happening in the world, tragedies all around the same time. I, I'm going to ask you guys this, and I bet you have noticed this. When I was on TikTok two weeks ago, TikTok two weeks ago was all Israel, Palestine, whatever. Everybody's saying their side. Everybody's yelling at each other. Everybody's telling you, you must use your platform as an influencer to talk about what's happening in Palestine or talk about what's happening in Israel, and everybody's going back and forth. All of a sudden, I'm going on TikTok, and it's real quiet. I'm not hearing a damn peep about the conflict right now that's happening in the Middle East. And suddenly it goes from the conflict that's happening into the Middle, Middle East. Now every single TikTok influencer is just posting about Congo and like the cobalt mines and everything that's happening there with, with labor, which, okay, I get it. You care about something and then you move on to the next thing and then you move on to the next thing. It is the nature of, of the news cycle. But one, do we have a moral obligation to report on every single thing that is happening all over the world? And if the answer is yes, how could you possibly keep up with all that? How can Western media keep up with everything that's happening on the Middle East, mixed in with everything that's happening in the Congo, mixed with everything that's happening in North Korea and in China and all these different human atrocities that are taking place, and mind you, all at the same time, where people are dying in Gaza and uh, Israel and the West Bank, there are hundreds of countries that are dealing with similar 
uh, atrocities. So when I hear people sort of have the perspective of, okay, yeah, I have an opinion about what's happening in the Middle East, but I'd much rather we focus on what's happening, you know, here in our own land. I can't help but have a little bit of respect for that opinion because how how much more, uh, you know, can you do? How many different things should you focus on at the same time? And is the Western media responsible for reporting on every single casualty that happens in every single atrocity like this? And if the answer is yes, why is that coverage not even handed for all the other countries that are experiencing things like this now? And how is it that we pick the conflicts that we are going to be the most invested in as a country? Because right now we've decided it's Ukraine and Israel. We're funneling billions of dollars over to these two countries while people here in the United States suffer. People cannot eat. People are living on the street. There's a ton of different things that are happening here in the U.S. that don't get you don't get a peep in the media. Yet we're arguing over like casualties thousands of miles away that are not being reported on in in Western media. And mind you, I feel for the hurt, the pain, everything that these people are are talking about. And I would never wish that upon my worst enemy, my worst enemy. I don't wish that upon them. But how many different things can you juggle at the same time? That's the question. There is a bias against us, and our stories are being hidden. They are being erased. All, all I, I'm I, trying to get you to see is that it's it's the same on both yeah, yeah. sides. But it can't be the exact it, same. I feel it can't. It's either it's either one side stories are buried, and the others I are disagree. highlighted. I think both sides I, can I, be buried. It, 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 Clearly, it they are. Because I'm not trying to invalidate your experience, but you're trying to invalidate mine. I'm telling you, we maybe from different publications. Exactly. Sure. Let's say it's from yeah. different. It, it the feels, media overall. You guys are I'm telling you. From exactly from what we're suffering, yeah. it feels to me yeah. like we're in a movie, and we are the actors, and we are the puppets, and there is some some people out there that are watching the movie and just enjoy and eating their fruits. Qatar. And there is a lot of uh, 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 people suffering in this. Listen, yeah. I'm listening to you. I swear, I wanna cry. I swear. No one, no one in this world, and I don't care what size, if it's a Palestinian or a Jewish or, or Ukrainian or Russian, supposed to live under bombs. No freaking way. Agree. And I'm talking to you as a veteran, as someone who was there inside, as someone mm -hmm. who volunteered to carry all those, as someone who has a, a friends Muslims, no one. And, and you know what? All of my friends also in Israel, no one wants to go into Gaza. We, don't, we are afraid. It's, 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 it's afraid the shit out of us to go into Gaza. We you, didn't want you know to as, sad as, that as is? friends, yeah. we, as, as kids. I went there when I was 19 years old. We don't want to go there. Absolutely, we don't want to. But that's sad. We don't it? want to. It's super sad, bro. It's super sad. Either. What I'm trying to say is that, listen, you're talking about the publications. We are talking. Oh, I wish I'd gotten clarity on what he was saying there. Is he saying that he doesn't want to go to Gaza because he's scared of his life, for his life, because of like jihadists and Hamas, or he doesn't want to go to Gaza because of the conditions? I couldn't. I didn't get what he was saying there. The girl next to him says we'd get killed there, but I, I wanted to hear more about it because it's a very different statement if he's saying I don't want to go there because of the conditions versus I don't want to go there because I fear for my life. Talking also about the publication, we have the same problem. We are suffering from the same shit. And some yeah. people out there watching, and it's and, like and, you and, said, and, we're and, and we are puppets, and we are yeah. playing. We we play the game of our game. You play the game of your game, yeah. and we are like there is there is some clash here, and some people are benefit from this. Now look, our government, uh, the news uh, uh, outlets or social media, what's the difference? 
Everyone has an agenda. We can agree that Al Jazeera definitely has more of a sympathy and a bias towards the Palestinian struggle, just like we can agree. Sure. Western countries and media outlets have unequivocally always supported Israel. Maybe. No, now, no. now it's no. a little less biased. Some, yes. Now it's a little less biased. No, yes, they have. Like no. yes, they have. Some do, perhaps, but not. you can't say the entire, every oh, media, media outlet in all of America is Have all. you ever heard? We're talking about the major ones. Yeah, CNN, Fox. Oh, because they're being more honest now. Look at all the crazy different interpretations you can get of the same news outlet. That's wild. Oh, you, they've always hated Because they're us. showing the children CNN dying in Gaza? No, no, so no, that's, so how that's, that's not how we felt. That's not what we felt. That's how we felt. Is it and a fact that U.S. sends money to Israel? Yes. yes. And the media also but US, But U.S. also sends money to Palestine. They also just released a ton of money to Iran. The U.S. is the biggest pot stirrer in this whole thing. The Jimmy Carter. Well, it's just. I mean, it's like they love to cause trouble in the. We do love to stir a pot. We do have. I would say there's a lot of national America. We're puppets. The Israel-Palestine conflict brought to you by Qatar, Iran, U.S., Russia, everybody that has no actual direct interest and just wants to mess with us. That's the issue. And it's like he said, we are sitting here like puppets while all of our governments still play us. But this, however, this is what I do have a problem with, and you can agree, disagree. Every time, and again, with all due respect, right, we're trying to find a middle ground here, but hear me out before we all go, okay? For 75 years of illegal occupation, we have been bleeding and we have been suffering. Whether you want to hear it or not, please respect that that's what we're saying. I, I get it. I understand. If I, maybe if I was sitting on your side, okay, but just have some, I'm asking for compassion. Where is the humanity? And every time, every time we say, well, this Palestinian person was unalived by Israeli forces or this, this, and that, it's no offense. Then on the Israeli side, yeah, but what about us? Okay, 10,000 Palestinians just were unalived and bombed in Gaza, then the Israelis. What about us? We have been bleeding and crying for 75 years. When is it our turn to mourn? Hey, pause. I have a question for you, Taylor, and probably for the chat, too. Mm. Um, do you guys think this will ever be solved? Do you think that with everything going on, with the information that you have, that there is uh, a solution on the horizon? I'm not optimistic, to be mm -hmm. honest. Um, I think it could be, um, but I think human nature is is such, is really at the core of, like, it's the tribalism and it's the, the irreconcilable differences. And then, to me, throughout every conversation that we have about this, the 900-pound gorilla in the room is Hamas and uh, Jihad. And I think as long as that's a, a factor that can affect the equation, as long as Hamas has enough power to do things like they did on October 7th and to do mm -hmm. what they've done as long as they've been in, in governance, uh, it's it's going to continue because they're puppets of Iran and, and other uh, jihadi people. So I think that that's the, the biggest limiting factor um, is... The, like you said before, like the, the bad actor that ruins it for everybody. Yeah. Um, but also, it, it doesn't inspire much hope when people are not able to um, let the, you know, when the cooler heads don't prevail and people aren't able to put aside their, like, a priori religious commitments or a priori, like, qualms with the other people group and say, okay, guys, regardless of how we feel about 
all this complicated history, like no one's going to get everything that they want here. What is a solution that can end the bloodshed and, you know, move us forward? But mm-hmm. I, for, I don't think that that we can get there. And I think it's the human nature. Yeah, because that's the thing, like we're hearing from these seemingly pretty reasonable people right now, but they're not the ones who are responsible for what's going on, right? So where I think many of the people in this uh, Jubilee video are probably going to advocate for something to the tune of a two-state solution where they uh, live together and coexist with one another, what's for the people who refuse to let that lie and refuse to uh, stop resorting to violence? How do you handle that? Don't know, guys. Hmm. Don't know. You're right. In terms of bias of the media, Western media, against Palestinians... Have you ever heard a Western publication state that Palestine has the right to defend itself? Follow-up question. Do any of you believe that Palestine has a right to defend itself? The first question is actually really interesting. I haven't. I, I, that's actually a really interesting question. Is that indicative of a bias? Uh, no, because I'd like to answer the second no. question. Mm-hmm. I'd like to answer the second. I think that there's a bias against both of us, by the way. I don't disagree. Oh, that. I'm biased. I, no, 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 no. The news. I yeah. think news is biased towards both of us, and I think we're coming to an understanding of that. However, I think the second question is also very interesting because the way that we see it, we are never on the offensive. The way that I get that, I get that you guys disagree. Just hear me out, because yeah. I think this is where there's a huge misunderstanding. Right. Okay, from Israel's perspective, we've offered peace so many different times. From our perspective, we have diplomatically offered peace so many times, and it's always responded to with war and violence. And so, from our perspective, we would never initiate those wars or violences had they not been initiated towards us. That's why we oh. call ourselves the IDF, Israeli Defense Forces. So, for us, that's our perspective. And right now unequivocally, if there were no terrorist attacks, so much of what is happening just simply would not exist. Everything that's been in place, the blockades, the this, the that, and the other, they all came after as responses. So when we disengaged from Gaza in 05, we did not have the blockades that existed. We did not have the blockades that existed now. Why did those happen? Because in the following years, right after that, rockets immediately started flying from Gaza. Terror attacks immediately started coming out. So for us, we have done, from our perspective, right, from our perspective, this is how we view it. We are constantly offering diplomatic concessions that are turned down and turned down with violence and often with violence on some of our holiest days. So, okay, I see what she's saying. I do have one question and this is just a question for clarity and you guys can uh, clarify in the chat or in the the comments after this video. She says that the Israelis, the Israeli government, Israel is never on the offense. So I'm just... With the timeline, it's really difficult if everybody's coming at it from a different sense of the timeline. Because, right, you like I said before, you have the Nakba, which to me, and tell me if I'm getting this wrong, Taylor or somebody mm. in the chat, that sounds offensive to me. Yeah, the call, I listened to uh, Coleman Hughes. He did a debate with, or not even a debate, Coleman was just kind of interviewing him, but he was a very pro-Palestine activist. And he made, made that very point. Um, he said, you know, Coleman was broadly understanding things in terms that, um, what's her name, Sharice, Sh- 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 the, the lady that was just speaking. Um, uh-huh. he, he was following Shawnee, uh, following her line of reasoning. And the Palestinian activist was like, well, uh, the major offensive thing was the creation of the state of Israel. So, right. Which is always going to be Tough. an argument, but also like that doesn't justify modern day terrorism. So it's like two wrongs don't make it right. Right. So it's like, okay, uh, so the, the, the correct thing uh, it seems to say there would be that Israel was on the offensive at the start of this, which would have 
which if the history, if I'm getting the correct history, would be the Nakba, which means Palestinians were living there. They decided Israel was going to be a state. They moved 750 Palestinians out of their homes, as we talked about at the beginning. 750,000, yes, not 750. (laughs) You know, 750 of you guys, 750,000 Palestinians out of their homes. That marks the beginning of what is the 75-year conflict to come out of that. So to say there was never an offense on behalf of Israel, I guess her logic in that is that other nations told them they could. This was something that went they right. went back and forth on, and then it was agreed the state of Israel was going to be created. So they got the go-ahead to for the Nakba. Yeah, and then there's also the reality that, you know, we can debate whether the Nakba or whether the creation of the state of Israel in that land was uh, was justified, but they do the state does exist and that state was attacked by arab nations and they fought a war and israel was on the winning side of that war of multiple wars and so in essence i mean the palestinian people were kind of caught in the middle of that conflict um but also it's clearly which side they're on and, and their side lost right. so you are a defeated people essentially right uh, which is i think often lost in this conversation uh-huh. as well Okay, so yeah, that adds a lot. And then from what people are saying, the British essentially said, green light. This is how things are going to go down. This is where the the state is going to be created, correct? The British said that they helped establish, you guys might need to help us in the chat here, but the British helped establish the state of Palestine. Yeah, that's what I was... As I understand it, yeah. Okay, okay. And you again, correct us in the chat. It was like a coalition of countries, I think, in the wake of, of World War II and the Holocaust. It was kind of collectively decided that British was the Brit, Britain was occupying that land right. pri- uh, previously, and then it was decided that that land would be given to make a state of Israel that everyone that was suffering from the Holocaust and is dispersed throughout the world could retreat to. So there's like a lot of different moving factors here. I don't know how you qualify what would be offensive or what would be defensive in that case. But it's interesting that it's not like referenced or talked about. And I think we end the prompt on on Shawnee's words here. So Mm. I guess... We'll see. I, I'm, I'm assuming it's going to come up. And we told you, I see some comments like this is painful to listen to. You guys are getting everything so wrong. Uh, I'm sure. And then other people are like, yes, exactly. That's the Balfour Declaration. That's what happened. So like you said, we're thinking out loud. We're kind of processing this in real time. So I'm yeah. sorry, but thank you all for bearing with us. Yes, you guys can deal. This is what this is what we do as human beings. We figure out <laughs> what's happening. So from your perspective, defending yourself, I feel very bad that this is the difference in perception because I can understand where you're coming from in feeling frustrated that, that, that the youth defense is not used in your, uh, for you guys, for your side. And so I can understand how that would be very frustrating. But from our perspective, this is where we're coming from. Our children should not inherit this conflict. Agreed. You'd hope not. I'm glad that everybody stepped forward um, because I think it's important that, you know, at the, at the very, like, you know, foundation of what we're doing here today that we all agree that w- this isn't a way to live and uh, we can't keep suffering, you know, more heartbreak and more losses. Um, you know, I always used to say, like, you know, my parents used to tell me that when they had children that they had hoped you know, Palestine would be free and we would be able to go back and live a life without any hardship. And, you know, now I have 
people my age, you know, who have children, my sisters, and, you know, a lot of family members who have kids themselves and, you know, having to have that conversation and talk about who we are as a people and our history and what we've been through and, you know, passing on that intergenerational trauma, you know, that continues to be carried, you know, from our great grandparents all the way down to us, it's, it's heartbreaking and it sh this isn't a world that we should be allowing something like this to perpetuate. Yeah, it would be great for everybody to be able to go and to live and to, yeah, walk the beaches and visit the holy sites and not have to fear for their life while doing it. <clears throat> this is like, who wants to live like this forever? This is crazy. If I'm gonna bring kids into this world, enough is enough. And I don't wanna live in a world without the optimism that peace is a possibility. I really don't. I think that that's mm -hmm. like a world to live in, I refuse to believe that as a younger generation, as a newer, smarter, more uh, informed generation that we can't come together and make something tangible actually happen for our kids. And I totally agree. And I think the only way to do that is for people on both sides to recognize each other and that I agree. we're, we're going to disagree on whatever, but like one side has their story, their truth, their lived experience, the other has the same. We don't have to convince the other to see it the exact same way. We just have to see each other mm. and, and acknowledge that we're both in this situation. And we both want to get out of it and let's treat each other like human beings and find the way out of it. Jonah, what's your involvement in this? What do you mean? What's your involvement in this conflict that we were speaking about? I'm a Jew. Oh. Mm. So... Can we... Like, what, where are you from? Like, where, where do you live? I live in Los Angeles. Where were you born? Los Angeles. Okay. It's easy for you to say what you said, mm -hmm. even though I agree with what you said, that we do need to be able to see Absolutely. eye to eye. We do need to be able to find a future for our children. But respectfully, you were born in Los Angeles. You were raised in Los Angeles. The, one of the best places in the world. I love it, right? Yeah you don't have the answer to this conflict, to this occupation. Well, okay, well, with that being your logic, then nobody would ever talk about anything ever that's happening, and you should not rely on the U.S. or the U.N. or anybody uh, for help or acknowledgement or learning about what's happening. Also, I'm seeing your guys' comments about the Nakba and saying that uh, the Arab-Israeli war predates the Nakba, and of course, I don't think it just came out of nowhere. Like, all of a sudden, the Israelis decide, oh, we're, we want our own, we want our own land and we're gonna go and take this. I was just thinking uh, from more the, the perspective of maybe an older Palestinian, how they would view what was happening around them, which uh, I did see somebody's comment underneath this Jubilee episode that said they, they wish there was more generations present yeah. in this conversation. All of these people look, I don't know, none of them seem much over 35 or much so. Much over 35. Maybe the woman who was talked about her ex-husband is yeah. a little older than that. But I, I would have loved to have heard from at least one or two older Israelis or one or two older Palestinians who actually have, you know, the deeper sense of the history that's happened here so that they could talk about that and something that they've lived through. Because if you think about it uh, in, in how young these people are, they're getting stories that are, you know, passed down to them that they have not experienced, uh, which doesn't negate the the opinion that they're having. Much like him being, you know, born and raised in Los Angeles doesn't negate his his opinions. But it would have been interesting to hear from more generations there. 
Jonah's thoughts on this conflict are not invalid just because he was born in LA. I said I agree. I said I agree with his sentiments, but he's still from Los Angeles. But you're still DQing him to a degree by saying he's born in LA. Respectfully. I just don't think yeah. that that's right. Sure. I think that he has a lot of skin in the game, family in Israel. He was just there with Jewish me getting Israel, attacks all over. Mm -hmm. I think actually there is a big room for people that, that come from different countries and they feel hurt from, from some reason, from, from social media or whatever, and come and say what they think about the situation. The problem is there's not going to be, I don't believe that this is going to end as long as Palestinians are oppressed, put into blockades in Gaza, put into all these different things that they don't have freedom. I've gone there. I've, I've lived there for months at a time, four different occasions. I, had to, I went to Jerusalem. My cousin couldn't come with me. These type of things are not going to ensure peace. What's going to, or a raiding of, uh, of Al-Aqsa or, or uh, going into Janine and refugee camp, all these things. So, of course, Check your of, of course, of course, these are, come on, these are valid. Check your sources, my friend. besides the point. Yeah, but what I'm saying is, in my, what I believe, and then I'll respond. It was What's the nine years. Let him, yeah? let him finish. Yeah. Yes, the idea is not a valid source. BBC. It's a biased source. I think we have disagreements on what we think needs to happen to end. You think, oh well, everybody just, everybody disarm on the Palestinian side and submit. I think that they're not. Gonna, what I said? Yeah. Did anybody hear he me said, say yeah. that? No, you just pointed yeah. at me and said that. That's what I Who said. said that? No. He said it. He said Who said that? Okay. Well, then I apologize for that. But I think, I think that the solution would be to end the occupation. And I totally hear that. But as I said, there's both. Two sides to every story. So the Israeli side would be, well, they need to stop having terrorist attacks in Israel, and we can stop at this. That's, you know, that's why I'm saying we can go back and forth. A, a lot of things need to happen from a lot of parties. It's going to require a lot of outside parties having influence from the Arab region and the U.S., bringing people to the table, making things happen. It, it, if, we're, if we're just stuck in the intra-fighting of I'm there, I'm there, we're hating each other, we're, it, that's, that's not what I it's said. never going to go. And the occupation is absolutely the problem. So even though you said this is how I think it will be resolved, it needs to be the other countries and people need to come together, I'm saying that okay. the root of the problem is the oppression. And it's the, the, the land theft, and, the and constant settlements. And I hear that from your side. Yeah. Well, that's most people in the world think that. But is there objective love truth? To, I would love to actually respond to what you're but saying. There's also objective, objective truth to both sides. That's yes. what I'm objective saying. Truth. Objective truth doesn't have two sides. Yeah. Actually, objective truth is truth. Yeah. Is there, that's not what my question was. So is there objective truth? Are you married? I would. No. There's objective truth to both sides, I promise you. <laughs> that's actually hilarious. But is, but that, that, <laughs> I, would, I would love to answer you because I actually think that this yeah. is a really important. Respond, yeah. I didn't ask a question. Sorry, I would like to respond to you. Apologize for yeah, using the word answer. Point. I would love to speak to you just openly because I think what you said is really important. It's something that I've thought of for many years. There's a really good book called Catch 67 by Mika Goodman. Both the right and the left hate it equally, so you know it's pretty decent. And it talks about the idea that we can't look at everything from a non-binary perspective. So we can't look at it as peace or no peace because you're right. Tensions binary perspective. Tensions <laughs> need to be limited. Relations need to grow. We can't just like immediately offer something and then boom, it's accepted. And then boom. We've been trying that for the last however many years, and it hasn't worked. Yeah, but so I agree. Yeah, that's true. How many? How many pieces? Uh, many. <laughs> There's been like I think like four or five different. Uh, peace agreements offered on mm -hmm. behalf of the Israeli government. And then I think what what the Palestinian retort to that is. Uh, well, you you took the land in the first place, so how, why would I negotiate with you to get a segment of the land back when you've taken all of our land? Sure, but yeah. again, like every 
war in history, like the, the ends with a treaty. Yep. So the winning uh, side negotiates with the losing side and the losing side obviously doesn't get everything they want because right. they lost. And, you know, you you laid claim to this this land uh, justifiably or unjustifiably. And we can debate that. And then everyone who didn't want you to have that land invaded you, attempted to wrest that land back from your control. Yep. And you defeated them. And to this day, you're occupying that land. And so in that sense, like they are the on the defensive. Yeah, at some point, something's going to have to be accepted, right? Like, or not? I don't. It's just reality. Do you, like, I don't know. I feel. Yeah. yeah, I feel like that is like you can you can argue from whatever side of the conflict you're on or whatever, and uh, you know have your strong feelings towards what each side is doing. But at some point, like, isn't it? It's, we're going to have to settle it in the conditions that we're that we're in. I don't know how or how or what you do. That we do need to minimize the uh, the we need to improve sorry the day to day lives of both Israelis and Palestinians. Uh, travel within the West Bank is a huge issue, mm -hmm. and Catch 67 talks about that and potentially building a road that's Palestinian controlled through all of the cities to be able to improve travel and transport. So there aren't these sort of weird blockades mm -hmm. or blockages that you, where you can't bring your friend to somewhere or you can't visit a cousin who's in a different town. There's actually a lot of really awesome orgs that are working on these sort of tangible, actionable items that we can do to improve the situation and the lives on the ground. And if anything, I think in the last like four or five years, what we've seen with the Abraham Accords, bringing peace between so many nations of Israel in the Arab countries, to me, as a Moroccan Jew, I almost cried at the thought of peace between my countries. It's like you reconciling mean, my two identities. Excuse me, let me please yeah, finish. Reconciling my two identities to me was so special. Mm -hmm. And so that to me was one of the things that we've done, uh, bringing in, you know, many people from Gaza with work visas into Israel to be able to work Getting in Israel. Getting out of Gaza having in a number, Yeah, but no, but I'm talking since then. The I'm talking since then, the last four years. And if you've noticed in the last 11 months in Israel, we've had a number of protests to be able to also further improve the situations. We are working towards that. I think it's one of the most important things is for us to not look at it as a non-binary thing. Progressives are so quick to look at sexuality and gender non-binary, but when it comes to these sort of complex issues, everything is black or white. It's peace or no peace. That's never going to happen. We need to come together and work on tangible things we can do to improve the situation. So you're right. I actually really agree with you, and I wish that you could hear my agreeance. So all I was going to reply to was Killed the Abraham it. Accords. The Palestinians were not even involved in that. So no, we don't accept the Abraham Accords because we weren't even confronted about it. That's what I think most people you ask on the Palestinian side would say. I think one thing I'm noticing in this conversation is just like people are just like waiting for the one thing that you say wrong so that they can like jump on and be like, oh no, that's actually incorrect. Or no, that's actually, you know, um, um, a misdirection. Or you're, you're actually saying the wrong thing. What about the part where she said, uh, we'd like a Palestinian controlled road to run through all of the major cities so that, you know, uh, Palestinian Palestinians, people in Gaza and in the West Bank can come and visit all the major cities. Is that something that maybe we could like get behind or like talk about or at least like start as like a first step to maybe uh, build building something here? And because uh, what I don't like fathom happening is that all of a sudden there's like this two state solution. Everybody's chilling and everybody's right. coexisting. I feel like it's going to be like a step by step process. Like we give way a little bit here. We give way a little bit there and then it grows. Yeah, I'm, I'm getting from her, uh, in a word, uh, earnestness. You know, she seems like, mm -hmm. hey, here's my actual thoughts on the situation. I'm trying to figure this out. And um, here's where I think this this is a solution that could work for everybody. Like, she's trying to, like, make it work. Obviously, she has her own interests. She's willing to say, these are my biases, whatever. But I'm, here's how I'm thinking. Maybe we can make a solution like this. And you have earnestness on one side. And I feel like she's being met with a lot of obstinance on the other side. And unfortunately, I do think that's kind of historically held true when uh, the negotiating table has been come to over the decades. 
you've and not to say that Israel is always perfectly earnest and uh, yes. acting in 100% good faith every right. single time, but they have been willing to make concessions time and time again, and uh, that hasn't always been met with uh, much but obstinance. Yeah, and mind you, she could have been wrong in invoking the Abraham Accords if Palestinians weren't involved. Maybe it's not the proper group to make the uh, the argument for, but I just want to try to, through all the other stuff that's getting negated and argued about, piece together what could be some actionable things or like some maybe good bits of... Uh, uh, of wisdom that we could glean from this. We're not going to be able to finish this entire episode. No. We've got about like seven more minutes before we get into super chats. So we're going to try to get through as much of this next prompt as possible. You guys can let me know in the comments down below if you want a part two of this because there are, uh, seems three more prompts in this episode. This is a very long episode. It's an hour and a half. So uh, we're most definitely not getting through it today. And this is a history that goes back a century of this. Palestinians being excluded. When the Nakba first started, a million Palestinians, nearly a million, 750 plus Palestinians were expelled from their homes. Some fled, others were murdered, right? And then you have the 1947 partition plan, which is like, hey, we just got here, we're taking 55%, you guys are keeping 45. You're saying we've offered many resolutions. Who would do that? If somebody came to America right now and took our country and said, hey, you guys get 45%, nobody would accept that. So you gotta also look at it from that perspective, so. See, I figured that would be the argument that is made there, but like, I I don't know. <laughs> like, I'm trying to put myself in their position and think about like how how would America handle that if an outside group that is, you know, agreed upon by other nations comes in and says, okay, we got to displace 750,000 of you, okay? And we, we do that displacement by some go willingly, others go by force, and then they go, okay, well, now let's negotiate. Now that the land is here, uh, 55, 45? <laughs> how would people take that? I don't know. I think it would a conflict would ensue probably much like what we're seeing here. I think this is also reinforced by very religious views, which we know are not going anywhere. These uh, religions have been around uh, for, you know, you know, a very, very, very long time. And that's not going to shift or change. If anything, I think it's going to get more and more reinforced as time goes on. So you mix that into the equation. And I just don't know what happens here. It would take a lot of swallowing of... Uh, uh, the historical past on behalf of the Israelis and the Palestinians to go, okay, yeah, let's let's get to the table and work out some sort of system where this land is split. Yeah. And, um, I don't know. But to, to answer your question, I mean, if, yes, I believe the Americans would wage war on a people that came and tried to occupy their land. Yeah. As the Palestinian, or as the Arab world and the Palestinians did. Have done. Oh, yeah. <laughs> And then lost. Right. So I can't help but get uh, right. keep returning to that point. Like you don't get what you want when you lost, and now you don't. Yeah. You're not like a, a a state that has a military that is like on equal footing to be able to assert yourself at a negotiation table. Everything is at the grace, the good graces of Israel, which is again not a fair position to be in. Um, and but I mean, it's just a, it's a reality on the ground, and that's a reality that's borne out by history. Yeah, and then I'm like thinking, okay, so at the beginning you spoke about like the natives, so we the uh, you know come over to the United States or what would become the United States, and of course there's a lot of different tribes that are living on the land, and then you know war ensues, and we have all these different conflicts that that play out, and in the end what happened the united states of america is here and we are here because of the because of what was done uh by the uh colonists so okay so how do we view the natives in this case and if there was some sort of similar response from the natives which did happen at the time but is no longer happening uh anymore what would the response be on behalf of the united states 
we would uh, fight back, uh, most definitely. But what did we do? Uh, for the natives in the United States, we had all of these different reparative measures and we set up reservations and we, they have special funding. And uh, to this day, uh, Native Americans in the U.S. get special funding. and, and to uh, make casinos. <laughs> yes. Now you can look at their land and say, uh, didn't really work out that well. The rates of domestic violence are through the roof. The rates of alcoholism are through the roof. The rates of suicide are through the roof. The rates of drug use are absolutely through the roof uh, in, in native reservations. So did we do the right thing, the wrong thing? Has anything worked? Is is there in fact, you know, a peaceful way to go about these things? I think in whatever way you slice it, there's a lot of, there's a lot of human suffering and we're just living through the middle of it and watching it as it's happening. Mm. Yeah. So, um, I have kids. Uh, when we were in um, in Tel Aviv, and on October 7th, I was in Tel Aviv, and then we drove down to Jerusalem. Um, we heard the alarm goes off. I'm like, do you hear that? Do you hear that? I'm like, and my son goes, yeah, what's that? I'm like, that's the alarm. I'm like, and then I'm like, my kids doesn't even know what is it. So, mm. to the point, I'm happy my kid didn't know what is it, because mm. I know what is it. I grew up into this conflict. In my house, we don't talk about that. We don't talk what's like my 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 son. I, I was we started to tell them about the story about the war. There is terrorist. And my son was like, "Dad, in, in Hebrew, what's terrorist?" My kids doesn't know anything about this because because for me, I don't, I don't. Yeah, they, 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 they don't. So they don't. Sad. They're not supposed to know about that. My question is, why the kids in Gaza are learning books of Hitler's? Books of Hitler. You see books of Hitler well, all over, all over the schools, ways. all over Shifa, all over ways. the schools. Mm. They're all over all those books. That goes both they, ways. Let me answer. Think we, like, yeah. There is Let no, answer. there is no even one program in any, in any school, in any school in Israel that teach you to hate Arabs. Not even one book. Oh not even God. one story in school in school curriculum. Very likely that was so, planted. So, That's so very likely that was what, planted. What, but can I, if, are you done? Uh, planted, come on, by, 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 by soldiers like me at 20 years old. Also, uh, planted those things. But Mr. Mishkin, can I answer your question with another <laughs> question? It's, it's, if you have more to say, go ahead. No, no, it's, it's it, 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 because every time we will say something, it's been planted. You guys are lying. Listen, I was a soldier 20 years old. You know, when you go into Gaza, by the way, when you're 20, until you get into the house, you want to kill yourself. You don't want to be there. Yeah. You don't want to be there. Shouldn't be As forced. a soldier, you don't want to be there. So there is no soldiers who are planting books to take a photo. It's not the soldiers, the leadership. Also, by um, Human Watch organization, there was an investigation that in Israeli schools inside of Israel, not all of them, but some of them, that they were taught to hate Palestinians. Oh, no. That's Okay, guys. Round and round we go. <laughs> I think I'm just going to have to pause for today. We're going to have to get into... Uh, into super chats there i've gained no clarity <laughs> from <laughs> from this episode uh but i did hear a lot of uh people's personal experiences and i think that helps as i said at the top of this episode uh it does help humanize people but it seems like it's always just going to be a back and forth of this is the way we interpreted this this is the way i interpreted this this is the evidence that i have this is the evidence that i have anecdote anecdote your information is biased. Your information is biased and uh, not hopeful. I'm not hopeful about what happens here. I'm curious to hear from you guys. So let's get into your super chats. I'm sure they will be very 
enlightening. Oh, wait a minute. I don't have a little bubble for this oh. shot. Oh, no. So I might just okay. be, uh, I guess you can switch can back switch. and forth while I'm reading. Sure. Okay. We'll we do can that. do that. Um, okay. See, we're figuring out live, guys. We are. Um, Wesley Walker, Walker was our first super chat today, but he doesn't have a message. So thank, thank you, you, Wesley. Uh, Taylor Fan Club, my favorite super chatter, says, uh, couldn't post last episode because I accidentally used the wrong account number paying my student debt instead of coming out of my savings. 4,500 came out of my checking. Uh, overdraft protection put me in the negative for two days. 4,500 to what? Were you trying to, you weren't trying to super chat us 4,500. Yeah, I would hope That not. would have been one for the century. Yes. <laughs> but if you're still paying your student debt, I don't want your $4,500. You need Please. to yeah, put it towards you. Don't super chat us. Yeah. <laughs> you got to switch back to you when you're talking because oh, people sorry, don't yes. want to look at my face. Don't super chat us. Put it towards <laughs> your debt, buddy. Uh, Chicken Pork Adobo says, I was pro Palestine until I researched your. Until I researched, your videos are underrated. I hope it'll soon get bigger. Love you, Amala. Greetings from Dan Anda. Oh, thank you so much. I'm glad that you are here. Yeah, I bet I bet there's so many people. I've been watching the comments, of course, that whole episode. There's so many of you coming from so many different perspectives of you stood here, then you look something up and it changed you to here, or you stood there and you look something up and you changed it there. I've heard so many uh, differing uh, takes from people that I would watch for their commentary before anything that happened on uh, October 7th. You guys know most notably there's been conflict uh, between Ben Shapiro and Candace and then Hassan Piker goes on uh, Piers Morgan to uh, state his beliefs. Uh, Andrew Tate, I watched his uh, interview with Piers Morgan, pro-Palestinian. So very interesting to like see where uh, all the different dots are on this conflict. And what I have noticed is while there are some general through lines, like you can guess for the most part that uh, conservative news is going to be pro-Israel and leftist news is going to be pro-Palestinian, there's been many that have shocked me, which goes to show to me that like it is, there's a lot of different ways to uh, interpret all the things that we're, we're uh, seeing now. 100%. Uh, let's see, Natalie... Ornelas says, Ornelas says, uh, finally caught alive. I'm doing, I'm currently driving from Texas to California to see my family for Christmas. Thanks for helping me stay awake on this long drive. We're trying. <laughs> Are you super chatting and driving? Is that legal? Oh, yes, hopefully. Hopefully you're doing that at a red light. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you for watching, Natalie. Kristen Stewart says, hey, guys, you're always wondering what it is we're doing while I'm watching. Uh, I'm currently waiting for my dog to give birth. Oh, wow. OK, that's a big one. How many? That's going to be a ton of puppies running around. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's uh, an interesting experience. Yes. Congratulations to you and your puppies. Congrats. Uh, Anisha says, for once, I feel like I don't have the right to an opinion. I never lost anyone to war. Just feel heartbroken for all the innocents that suffer. Yeah, it's kind of interesting to, like, uh, have to decipher and, like, look through these things because it's like, okay, this doesn't really uh, directly affect me, but also there's ways in which the, the web just constantly grows outward, like our country is really invested in this conflict in particular, and that so many things are happening on, like, behalf of us and our media and our tax dollars, so it's interesting to think about, like, where your opinion is most necessary. I always tell you guys when we talk about uh, stuff like this, Please do not base your opinion off of like, I wonder where Amala stands on on this thing. I do not want to bear the responsibility of you deciding how you feel about this based on uh, my interpretation of things. Because like you, and probably like many of you, uh, I've... I'm constantly taking in new information and just interpreting it in, in real time for you guys and telling you what my thoughts are. 
which is, as you can obviously tell, what we were doing on the show today. So. Uh, Leah Menezes says, I recommend the works of Norman Finkelstein. He's been an excellent source on the pro-Palestinian side. I've heard a lot uh, uh, from him, and I believe he he did, was it Candace? I think yeah, she had a whole episode with him. Yeah, and then uh, who else have I listened to uh, that's kind of in that same vein? Uh, Gabor Mate, who is uh, a Holocaust survivor. He was in the Holocaust as a baby and talks about... Gaza, the conditions, having been there, having experienced both uh, as a Jewish person, and his his talks about it are very enlightening, and I like his energy because he comes at it just like, here's what I've seen, here's what I, I know, and uh, there's no anger or like uh, these just like random like musings that come through. He just tells you what he thinks. Uh, well, Justin Ware says, I just want to ask you and Taylor about how you feel about celebrities being outspoken about a ceasefire. Is it helping, hurting, or should they just stay in their own lane? All my best to both. I mean, I don't mind if you're a celebrity and you're like, I feel passionate about this. I'm going to post like how I feel. You have every yeah. right to do that as an individual, and that's fine. I don't necessarily enjoy the weight that their opinions have on society, but that's just a, a product of our brains rotting, I think, that we... we put so much emphasis on uh, the words of celebrities rather than other people who may have just a bit more to provide. But I don't fault them for saying how they feel. And if you do feel passionate about it, uh, then go for it. Do so. And personally, I would love nothing more than if this all stopped and uh, this people just stopped dying. Uh, but alas. Alas. Uh, Johanna Citra says, Hi, Amla and Taylor. Love the works you're doing and has made me rethink a few things. This is my first time watching you guys live. Best of luck from Indonesia. <laughs> what an interesting one to get on your first time watching us live. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for watching and I hope you've, uh, hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, AV, AVJR says, have you guys heard about Orphaned Land? They're an Israeli metal band and they have Arabic fans who love them. I'm a fan too. Check them out. No, I've never heard of that. I don't really listen to a lot of metal music to be fair though. So there's a reason why I've never heard of that band. No, every once in a while, my brother shares me a, a workout playlist that has some metal on it and I'll play it during a workout, but I don't think I got any, um, Orphaned Land. I do rap music for workouts. Yeah. That's me. I go hardcore rap. I'm either like listening to, I don't know, like theological debates or, or like lo-fi or metal or I don't know. It depends on the day and the mood. Uh, okay. Dean Hunt says, guys, this is a very tough subject to cover. And I think you're doing it with sensitivity, awareness and grace. Yeah, we're trying. I'm telling y'all, we don't know all that much about everything that's going on. But I think it's like important that uh, when you are in the space of admittedly like not knowing everything because how could you possibly know everything that you do take the journey of like trying to learn things in real time in front of people so you show that it's like it's an okay thing to do like uh we we are by no means like a, a news source or people who are trying to tell you how to think or what the objective facts are of any uh, by any means we're just regular people who are taking in some of the same videos as you are, same news sources as you are. So I think it's important to do that in front of people so people can see that it's okay. <laughs> and I'm sure there's been a lot of crazy comments in the chat. I've seen so many of you saying, the live chat is out of hand today. I can't be in the live chat. I'm turning the live chat off. Y'all chill out, chill out. The, the interesting thing is we are all watching a podcast right now from probably very cushy conditions in comparison to everything that's happening right now. So if that alone doesn't make you like chill for a moment <laughs> and not be so heated and like passionate and crazy in the chat, I don't know what will. 
And on the topic of the chat, uh, someone, the next super chatter, Brutus Rogue says, Taylor, there's a worrying amount of ignorant anti-Semites and Islamophobes in this live chat. Both sides need to shush and listen. Break out the ban hammer. <laughs> so at least it, it's both of y'all. Both of y'all are I in guess. the chat acting reckless, okay? But you know, honestly, I was, I was thinking I would have to ban a bunch of people for like spamming the flag of, the, of whatever side they support and, you know, just free this free that and uh for the most part i mean i definitely saw a fair share of them but mm -hmm. it was, nobody was like spamming and being crazy and i didn't have to ban maybe i didn't get to read i don't get to read every chat message while we're live guys it's impossible to pay attention to everything at once uh but overall i thought we did okay in the chat so i'm sorry for those who overstepped thank you guys uh rp awareness month says hey there gang Amala, the old Israeli guy, was on with Lila Rose, and he said he doesn't want to go into Gaza because of all the secret death traps set up. Okay, there you go. So that gives clarity on the point where he said we don't want to uh, go there. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, I, I can imagine that uh, given the current state of things, I don't think many people want to be crossing over into the other, into the other territory. I sure as hell would not want to be anywhere near any of that. No, thanks. Uh, Judah Onismus says, Hi, Amelin Taylor. Check out David Wood and Apostate Prophet. They've had many streams since the war started with an anti-Hamas bent, but very informative. Hey, that sounds good. Hey, we're getting sources on both sides. That, love that. That, that represents to me that we have a healthy-minded audience because you have some people recommending pro-Palestine uh, sources, some pro-anti-Hamas sources. Mm -hmm. um, so healthy balance lets me know we're somewhere in the middle thanks guys uh let's see manny petty says oh that's funny m-a-n-n-y-p-e-t-t-y -T 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 manny petty uh this is the first live i've caught i'm a housekeeper and i work until four so i was late but i love you guys i'm a 21 year old woman and just started involving myself in politics so this has been helpful oh thank you so much love you too Thanks for watching. I'm glad you think so today because we were kind of out over our skis in some ways. But like Don't I said, we're chat. chilling. Don't let the chat skew your guys' opinion, guys. We are we are learning as we go, as everybody does. So don't get all nasty in the chat saying all these different things to me because I'm not buying it. <laughs> we got thick skin. <laughs> Uh, one more from RP uh, says, so you guys mentioned how people in the chat were saying this is boring, etc. This is the painstaking work that must be done to get closer to the truth. Yeah, I think so. You gotta, you gotta like hear things out and listen to it, you know, as they, as they pop up and see, see if you can find anything in it. I'm not sure how, what we found so far today, <laughs> but at least I learned, you know, a, a ton of different people's perspectives and again, heard from people who are directly affected. Mm-hmm. Facing people's been well, shout out to Alex for the wholesome message. You didn't send any 304s yes. to the streets or anything wow. like that. Just gave us a, a constructive <laughs> super chat. Great super right. chat. Uh, Shirley Jones says, have you seen the coverage of the higher ups of Hamas saying that they are not responsible for the people in Gaza and the UN is responsible for them? Thoughts? I, I've not seen that, but also it's like ridiculous. I. Uh, and then again, you hear so many conflicting reports about like the history of Hamas and how that works. And people say they are elected in 2006. And then the Palestinians say, well, no, the the uh, the Israeli government is what brought about the election of Hamas. Or they like rigged the election for Hamas. I don't y'all. I don't know. I don't know. But also, you would think that if you are the governing body of uh, an area and of a group of people, that you would want to take responsibility, which is why when people bring up like the the human shields and stuff like that it's just like 
Ugh. Well, what a disgusting thing to to be doing, and what a disgusting thing to to subject people to. Yeah. Uh, McCubas Automotive said, "Yes, we need a part two, but also come more armed with info not acquired by news or wiki. Uh, quite a few facts were wrong this time. Anti Hamas, Lo- love you guys. Well, yeah, we don't necessarily like Hamas either, but I'm let glad us you know. Still love us. Let us know. You can fact check us in the comments down below, as always. You know, I encourage that, and mm-hmm. I think." We, we made that clear throughout the video. So let us know what, what's wrong or what we uh, misstated. And some of you guys added some tidbits throughout and we read, read them. Oh, one of them, I forgot to say, uh, someone said that in the hostage exchange, it wasn't one for one. It was three uh, Palestinian prisoners for every Three for every hostage. 10. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, appreciate y'all participating in the discussion as we're learning. Um, let's see. Oporensis says this whole situation makes me wonder if there were if there was a similar debate for Liberia and how Black Americans treated Native Africans during its early years. Yeah, I wonder. Like, I think there's not a country in the world that you couldn't go back historically and find something uh, similar happening. And it's interesting to view them through the lens of history. And then, you know, be in this current age where, you know, similar things are happening. You wonder how it's going to be viewed as we get further removed from what's happening now. Yeah, that echoes to your point earlier about how there's in the same way that there's so much going on in the world right now that it's like you can't possibly pay attention and give everything justice. Uh, Similarly, in history, it's uh, impossible to do that as well. Yep. Um, but that's also not an excuse not to know history and, and, you know, look at it and have a clear eyed view of things. But alas, um, Celtic blacksmith says, does anyone else feel that this topic drains them almost on a spiritual level? It's so ugly, so radioactive. It just sucks the life out of me. Yep. hundred percent. I like could not, cannot like go on social media when this is all over the place. It's just so, so, so draining. Um, and I can't even imagine what it is for people who, you know, live in Israel or, or in uh, Gaza. I just, yeah, it's just crazy. It's yeah, a good point. Uh, Dewan Menzies says, why is it illegal for them to take a DNA test to prove if they are Israelites? I don't know what that means. I don't know about I don't that. Either. I don't know about being that being legal. I don't know anything I, about that. I know like if you're Jewish and you move to Israel, you get citizenship on that basis, right? Right, birthright. There's a path, yeah. Mm-hmm. So do they have to, like, verify that? Or is it illegal to make them verify that through DNA or something? I don't know, guys. This is yet another example of things that uh, we're not educated enough about. No. But let us know in the chat. Um, Dewan again says that the Bible proves that there will be a group of people that would lie and steal the identity of the true Jews. Okay, I don't know where we're, I don't know what we're talking about here. (laughs) You're going to get a lot of different opinions in in the super chats today. Yeah. RP, one more, says, let's see how he does. Let's not forget that Israel has a superior army and is also allied with the U.S. And all of Gaza, Palestinians, Hamas haven't been erased, flattened, or destroyed. By the way, yes, Hamas slash Palestinian people study Hitler. Yeah, I don't. Again, it's like I, I've, I've seen, I've certainly seen videos of uh, kids echoing similar sentiments to that of uh, Hitler and some uh, supremacists. Now, again, in this age of like propaganda and things being thrown around, uh, who's to validate those those videos? I'm gonna uh, assume that the the source is correct and characterizing mm. it as Palestinian children echoing these things. And when I hear about that, it's just so deeply unfortunate. Like to hear that children's minds are being indoctrinated in this way, it's just so, uh, it's disgusting. 
quite quite frankly, and it's so, so sad. A child deserves uh, innocence and protection and care, and to, to not see that happening in several different respects is just saddening. Yes, indeed. Um, Cupid says, hi, Amala, Taylor. Hope you both are well. Finally got to watch you live again. I adore both of you and your videos make my job go by faster. I own a cleaning business. <laughs> oh, so we had two, two cleaning, two cleaners in the super chats today. Guys, thank you so much for watching. And I'm glad that we're making your, your work go faster. Yeah, always a pleasure to hear what you're up to. Indeed. Uh, Athelstan Mercia. Oh, that's funny. I, I've been watching The Last Kingdom and it's all about, that's like the name of one of the kings and the kingdoms of the oh, ancient uh, UK. Cool. Anyways, um, nobody puts Taylor in the corner. That's the, What movie was that in reference to? Dirty Dancing, I think Dirty Dancing, said, yeah. Which I have not seen. <laughs> Dirty Dancing. And Taylor is indeed in the corner. Sorry, Taylor. Someone said I look like I'm in the closet of like a high school talent show. He <laughs> <laughs> kind of is. He's right next to my closet. <laughs> Literally. Yeah. If y'all could see this whole uh, setup. It's, yeah. It looks Chandy. better on camera, especially on the, on the Amala shot. It does. Uh, let's see. One more from Dewan Menzies. I found it sad that when we have a conversation about reparations for African descendants of slaves, most people don't support it. But we give billions of dollars in tax money to support a genocide. Ooh, okay. So, again, an, another opinion there. Um, so, here's the thing. The reason... I, when I talk about reparations, I think reparations would have been a conversation that should have been had, and it was had through the lens of 40 acres and a mule at you know the ending of, of slavery and the emancipation. Why wasn't it achieved right then and there? And that's when it should have been achieved, because now we're nearly 200 years removed, and you have people who never were slaves. We can't gauge the effect of slavery on them and on their families who are asking for reparations. And to me, that doesn't really make sense. Like I said, we went through reparative measures with Native Americans, which, uh, um, you know, I can criticize all day long how the, the U.S. may have handled that or whether or not it was done properly, and we can look at the outcomes and see that the outcomes are not great. But reparations were also given to uh, Jewish people at, uh, after the Holocaust. Now, I don't know how effective that was. You guys can let me know in the chat if you're super familiar with the history of reparations there. Uh, we gave reparations to, I believe, the Japanese after the internment camps here in the mm -hmm. United States. So, again, how effective was that? Did it really, you know, put a put a Band-Aid on a large wound? Maybe. I, I don't know. So these are things to discuss, but they have to happen when the things happen. Like, you need to be swift uh, with that. Another one from RP says, you can, you can split the tension with a knife, so here's a little levity. Does anyone know if shoddy, I mean Shawnee, speaks Spanish? I'll use Taylor's Daddy Yankee pickup line and see if it works. <laughs> Please do a part two. Oh, no. Not, not y'all being hot for Shawnee. She was very pretty. She's very pretty. And smart. I get it. And smart. I get it. Yeah, she was my favorite person in this. Just she was the most reasonable and Yeah, she's you know. pretty level headed. Mm -hmm. Um Lorraine Grubbs says, as Taylor mentioned, they didn't address the elephant in the room, Hamas. This conflict is a result of Hamas, not the Palestinians. Look up Sophia Khalifa for her story as an Israeli Arab Muslim. I will have to look that up. I do love the those individuals who have like an intersection of the different identities because it's, it's uh, not more likely, but you'd think you would get a more balanced uh, response and perspective as they've experienced both identities. The, the Taylor Fan Club, again, says, Lol, no, I was trying to put a large payment toward my student debt, finish it off entirely, only $1,000 left to go. P.S. I wish more people were like you two. I hate when people blindly choose sides. Yeah, we can't do that here, especially with something that carries a lot of weight. It mm -hmm. really does. It's a lot. It's hard. I like 
if I don't have clarity on something, I'm not going to come out and tell you guys something. Except about pineapple on pizza. <laughs> <laughs> right, no pineapple. I on literally pizza. had pineapple on pizza today. Oh, uh, yes, you yeah, did. I didn't even notice. I went to a little pizza place. Um, Celtic Blacksmith says, I'm with RP Awareness. I just want a foin Latina to yell at me in Spanish. RP, am I right, my guy? Mm. Giggity. <laughs> oh what is happening today? <laughs> I love that you guys uh, love the the Latin community. Good for you. Hopefully you find that for yourself, I guess. Love that for you. Love that for you. Amo es soporti. <laughs> Um, Christian Meyer says Christian slash Muslim slash Jews coexisted peacefully in the region for centuries. Sad what Western intervention did. Love the lives, by the way. You're both very chill. Yeah, it is sad to see what's going on now, but I feel like it's just now, you know, if it wasn't there, it'd be somewhere else. I feel like it's just like what humans do. And it's like for all of human history, there's been conflict and war and devastation. And like, uh, does that ever end? I don't know. Unlikely. Unlikely. American Maid says, I never get to catch a live in its entirety, but always watch after work. Been a fan since Amala was appearing on the Ingram Angle. Love your tattoos. You guys are both great. Hey, from the Ingram Angle. I used to go on there a lot. I don't go on there so much anymore. I actually did take a a step back during all of uh, this stuff and everything that happened after October 7th, because we know like where Fox News stands on the issue. And it's not that, uh, you know, I... I just feel like I'm not the person to be on there to say things. And sometimes for like their hits, they'll just like plug people into stories. And as the stories were like all Israeli-Palestine, I was like, you know what? I'm going to take a step back. I'm not the best person to uh, speak Mm. on this. You should refer to, uh, defer to somebody else. Which is why we're all Amla fans. Yeah, I could have taken that Fox spot, (laughs) (laughs) y'all. But I'm not going to do it. But you're a grifter and a clout chaser. Right. Yes, we know. See, y'all, everybody calls me a grifter or whatever. All these left-leaning publications or whatever call me a grifter. They have no idea. <laughs> I will step away from stories and I do not toe the line if I don't feel like I have something to add or something significant to say uh, or if I, I don't agree. So take that, Salon Magazine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Rock, Paper, Scissors says, shout out to Taylor in the producer's corner. I walk, uh, laughing emoji, I walk, I work at a university, eek, and love when I catch you live. Oh. Hopefully not Harvard University. Hopefully not Harvard. Lots of conflicts these days. Ryan Griego says, I support pressuring both sides for peace, but not arguments against Israel's existence. It would not be reasonable to abolish the USA, displace 330 million Americans to return all the land to the natives. Yeah, I mean, none of it, like it's not. Uh, yeah. The second part of what you said is definitely uh, not reasonable. And also like with everything, how it's it's going right now. How could you do that? Like, how does any of this happen without significant loss of life? Um, this is a $2 super chat, which we normally don't read, but it's funny. Jeff Rude Boy says, uh, hey, I like your shows and love your hairstyle. Thank you. You guys like the puff? <laughs> That's the only hairstyle I wear when my hair is natural, really. It's just a puff. Thanks, guys. <laughs> and this is our friend. This is a weird one to end on, but uh, our friend Dewan Menzies substantiating his prior statement on fake Jews, I guess. Is so, uh, quoting Revelation 3, 9. Behold, I will make of them synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews, but are not, but do not lie, or but do lie. Behold, I will make them come and worship before thy feet. Wow. And I mean, so I don't there know you go. any of that. Wow. See, this I've, I come from this at a very uh, non-religious perspective. So the uh, 
the center point of religion in this is just so deeply concerning to me as somebody who's non-religious because it just shows like I don't know how this ends or how this like is stopped when it's such like a deeply set belief to have it founded in your in your religion for you know Palestinians that are anti-Hamas for you know pro-Hamas people and jihadists uh, for you know Zionists and that's tough like when your religion is so central to to you and to your belief system that's really hard to grapple with yeah and I mean I'm coming at this from a a, I guess I am a Christian so I have that baked into my worldview Mm -hmm. but also I think it's important to like not not necessarily dispense with your entire belief system but be able to delineate between like talking mm-hmm. about world affairs at a, as a citizen of the country I live in, as a citizen of the world, and like, where, or you want things to be like, let, and if you're wanting to persuade other people who don't share your religious persuasion, then you need to find common ground with them and mm-hmm. cite authority that they will respond to and respect as well uh, if you're going to have a pluralistic world that, that works. And so, right. you know, I, I try not to approach these conversations like from grounding anything in uh, religious sensibilities because it's just no, not everyone's going to respect that. And that's what entrentches us further in these types of conflicts. Right. So and I think, oh, we got one more I think, at the yeah, buzzer. There's a few more. Three more. OK, well, if, if I'm missing any, let me know. But RP awareness says, you know, Amala, right. I really, really do commend you for not speaking on something you don't know enough about. More people need to acquire this trait. Yeah, like I'm totally fine to do what we're doing on the show today and like watch through videos and tell you how you feel and think about things or whatever, but I'm not gonna go on like Fox News and be like, here's my take on the situation that's happening right now. I'm like, dude, I don't know. First of all, nobody was talking about this before, or at least nobody, you know, who is like super loud right now was talking about this before October 7th. Of course, you have uh, all the people that you've recommended in the chat to go through for like expertise and uh, those who have lived in Israel or lived in Gaza. I'm like, can we defer to those people? Like why, who in their right mind would think, oh, well, I want to talk about what's happening in Israel and Palestine right now. Let's get Amala on the show. (laughs) (laughs) Like, are you nuts? Are you crazy? Absolutely not. You should not go to me for that, especially on something like Fox News. Like, like sometimes sometimes I get, like, so black-pilled about the news, and it's because of my own involvement. Uh, And and that's not to, like, denigrate my opinions or where I stand on things, because I'm totally happy to go on, like, Fox or CNN or ABC or MSNBC if you want to like do an opinion piece on like race or gender or feminism and like talk about it from a like here is me sharing my perspective but the fact that there's like a middle east conflict happening right now and they're like hey girl can you come on the show tonight i'm like absolutely not (laughs) absolutely not i will not do that um anyways sorry i just had to go on that like tangent uh which is crazy because like uh taylor and i like sometimes we'll have uh like a fox news because they used to do them every thursday we'll have a hit coming up or whatever and we'll put together stories and pitch it to them so sometimes like the stories that you see that i comment on on fox are ones that we've compiled and pitched to them so just bear that in mind when you're watching news of like you might think that this is like Oh, like my news organization knows everything and they do everything correctly and they're going through all these different, you know, like a hierarchy of steps in order to confirm the information that they're giving to me or whatever. 
if I was a worse person or if I wanted to lie to you or like spin a story or, you know, pitch them a story that is not really as big as it actually is or is in no way beneficial to you, you could know somebody who has the power to do that. So just bear in mind when you're looking at news sources, which is why you need to look all over the place and read a bunch of different stuff. Because if I was a nefarious person who's trying to influence you, I, me, 23-year-old Amala, could do that. Uh, just so you know. So, Amla's over here exposing the man behind the curtain. <laughs> and it's not, it's not to like be, you know, like say anything bad or anything like that. Right. It's just to show you guys that like sometimes these processes are way more fickle uh, than we would expect them to be. And once you do get like to see the process and everything, you go, oh my gosh, like these are just like, this is a few people in a room and writers and stuff, and they're putting together what you watch on the news and just inherently believe is true because you're seeing it with your own two eyes. Okay? And that's where we'll close out the show for today. I'll rapid fire these last couple uh, sure. super chats. Uh, your Aunt Rachel says, I've been following y'all for a while, but this is my first as a live. As a college student, being honest, hearing this on my campus can get so frustrating. Yeah, I bet. I think it's hard to be a college student right now uh, with the opinion you're supposed to have versus like all the different like protests that are happening and like the general uh, environment of suffocated conversations where you feel like you can't really say what you're thinking or what you're feeling or that like we can acknowledge that our opinions can change. Some of the opinions that I expressed in this video or during this Jubilee Middle Ground very well could change and rapidly so as more information comes out and as things progress and you hear more and you learn more and you get a broader look at, at history and the fact that we don't accept that anymore and we hold people to the very first opinion that they have or the very first thing that they say or you know whatever issue as it pops up is just really sad. Oh, there's one more. A couple more. Yeah, Taylor okay. Fan Club says, forgot to mention this from the last show. Amal, I really love the new tattoo. Maybe one day I can get my Adventure Time tattoo redone. Oh, very cool. Thank you so much. I'm glad that you like uh, the new tattoo. Uh, RP Awareness says, you know, Amal, I really, really commend you for not speaking on something you don't. Oh, I already read that one. I'm sorry. Uh, Tessa Ryan says, during my workout, I listen to you guys or to the Modern Wisdom. And that'd be great if you and Modern Wisdom made an episode together. Happy holidays, everyone. I That's Chris Williamson, I think. Oh, Chris Williamson. Yeah. Okay, I do like him. Uh, we have, I think, we've talked about on it. having him yeah. on. Yeah, so maybe we will in the future. And I think we are actually caught up now, so. Okay, guys, that's perfect timing because I have a meeting in like four minutes, guys. <laughs> Thank you so much for watching the show. We greatly appreciate it. If you liked this video, like, subscribe, click the notification bell to be notified every single time we're live. That's Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 1 p.m. Pacific, 3 p.m. Central, 4 p.m. Eastern. Plus, we post videos for you guys every single day. Tomorrow's video is about diversity hires. That's what tomorrow's video is about. It's going to be a much lighter subject than the one we've covered today. And uh, we'll be back on Friday to be live and sit down and have a new discussion with you guys will that be a part two let us know in the chat down below will it be uh, rapid fire news stories let us know in the chat down below guys we encourage healthy debate healthy discussion you can do so in the comments underneath this video keep it classy y'all keep it respectful that's what we like on this show that's what we enjoy thank you so much for watching and i will see you next time